Hello, everybody, and welcome to Turn to Page Season 3, Book 1 of Sherlock Holmes' Solo Mysteries, The Murder at the Diogenes Club. How are you doing, uh, fellow detective? I'm doing excellently well, and yourself? Actually, I don't need to ask how well you're doing. I can oh. observe. You see, uh, you've got a tan only on the left-hand side of your body, so I can tell that you've been sleeping in the sun recently. But also, the line is so diagonal and so vertical in such fashions that I know that you fell over into a castle that you've been building on the sand. Isn't that right? <laughs> I did. I did. Ah, now I'm oh. putting you in jail. That's a crime! <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> Get busted! No! I will never do it again? Uh, now that oh, I know that it's a crime... I live, that's a life sentence. <laughs> now that I know it's a crime, I'll never do it again. I just, I just, I suppose. There's well, no sand in prison. Lock him away! Oh. That's the sound of uh, prison gates. I'm not good at sounds. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a cat purring. There you go. If I had to pick, a like, an ASMR sound that, like, I'm like, yeah. That does make me feel better. It's the sound of cats purring. Like, mm -hmm. uh, that, I hear that, I'm like, yeah, that's happiness. I, I like that. That makes me feel better. Uh, exactly. Replace Sherlock the Holmes. sound of... <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, yes, this is Sherlock Holmes. But this also, is... replace the sound of yeah, all yeah. klaxons with cats purring. Because, like, if I'm going to hear a klaxon, I'm probably going to perish soon. So I might as well go out happy. Yeah, I just, I replace most sounds with cat purring. And I'm, you know, better place. Less crime. More happy, more cat, more confusion mm -hmm. for sure, because everything would sound the same. But anyways, well, <laughs> this is quite an intro. If that could have possibly stopped the murder at the Diogenes Club. Exactly. What a seg I was like, how could I possibly segue this? But you had it for us. Thank you very much. Uh, yeah, new season. I'm very excited. There's four books in the Sherlock Holmes solo mysteries. Uh, we both saw this. We just lit up the little part of the brain that said, that sound fun. Uh, it's mm -hmm. a nice, it's a nice different change of pace. There's like no shortage of high fantasy game books, but seeing something like this, which is a, a you know a more mystery focused one, is really cool, and I'm excited to get into it. Mm -hmm. And it seems to have like a, a fun humor about itself, which I can probably best summarize in the way the game refers to its own skills of athletics, which includes fitness, adroitness, fortitude, pugnacity, and fisticuffs. So we're that Sherlock. Yes. So, yeah, that's the other th thing worth mentioning is you get to make a custom character. You can play as their mm. regular character, James G. Hurley, if you would like. Uh, he's pretty good at everything and has notebook, pencil, and a pen knife. G good on you, yeah. James. However, One of those RPG characters who's reasonable at everything, good at nothing, and bad at nothing. Ugh, how do you roleplay that? You gotta have weaknesses and strengths. It's, it's, it's the Super Mario. It's like, I want to play Mario Kart and be Mario. You've never had a single problem in your life, my friend. <laughs> you, <laughs> you precious little pancake. You precious little pancake. Good on you. I'm so happy for you. I cannot relate. Uh, I, I hope you never have to change. I hope you never have to play something other than Mario in Mario Kart. I hope that nothing changes your worldview in any way and you get to have this sweet little life going, Yahoo, wahoo, when you jump off the little ramps. Congratulations. But we are playing... Uh, you want to introduce our character, Raps? 
I can indeed. We are playing the character Johnny Curbstomp. And as for our skills, we have a full three in athletics. Of course, that is the skill that governs your adroitness, fortitude, fisticuffs, pugnacity, and uh, just general strength, effectively. Uh, we have in Artifice a negative two as a result yep. of the penalty in this game. If you do not put a positive into a category, you instead get a negative two. So Artifice, yep. our sneakiness, slyness, eavesdropping, our ability to uh, pick locks, etc., uh, disguise ourselves as well is a little bit lower down. However, we do have a one across the board in each observation, intuition, and communication, which I will not expound upon because they really describe themselves. Yeah. And finally, a negative two in scholarship. We yes. didn't read books good. We, we know nothing about education, science, current events, or languages. I mean, hope, hopefully our own. Uh, no, but... that's that's irrelevant. We know the universal language yeah. of the fist. Yeah, the, they all respond the old left and right. Uh, mm -hmm. and he holds up hands, and they were he holds them up in the wrong order. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's me. I feel represented by this comment. Uh, I resemble <laughs> that comment. Yeah, I mean, it's better than the, I mean. At least they're fists. <laughs> That's <laughs> true. Oh, left fist and right fist lifts up foot for one. I mean, yeah. Uh, but the hey. One fist of iron and the other one steel, and if the right don't get you, then the left one will. I'm happy to have partaken in whatever that was. <laughs> 16 guns, <laughs> bud. <laughs> there we go. But hey, uh, you want to take us into. Well, you, I guess I'm taking us into the prologue. Yeah, I'm, used to it being, us in, bud. I'm used to it being in. Uh, I was going to say Sherlock's voice, Merlin's voice. Mm. Murloc. Uh, okay. <laughs> yeah, there. <laughs> I found, I found out today that that was uh, a guy gargling, gargling yogurt. Gargling yogurt! Yeah, uh, yep, yep. All right, prologue. What? Uh, we should probably get to the book. <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> On a pleasant summer day in London, you decide to visit your mentor, Sherlock Holmes, and your cousin, Dr. John Watson. Perhaps today, Mr. Holmes will hand you a case to solve yourself. Upon reaching 221B Baker Street, Mrs. Hudson admits you with a smile, although obviously in the midst of a busy cleaning session. Oh, how nice to see you again, says Holmes's landlady. Mr. Holmes and Dr. Watson are in their rooms. You know the way. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> Johnny Kerbstop's voice. <laughs> 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 you gotta get him offside. The thing is, you gotta you gotta lull him into a false sense of security, and then hit him with the curb stomp immediately. No moves between. There's gonna be two hits. You hit the curb, and I hit you. <laughs> Johnny, uh, yes, ma'am. You reply, turning towards the stair. Oh, you might do me a favor. She continues. You pause at the words. Dr. Watson's newspaper's just come, you see. It would save a trip if you'd take it with you. I just came down from carrying the doctor a telegram, and I've already got a thousand things to do today. Uh, naturally, you agree. At your knock, Mr. Holmes invites you in, and both men greet you brusquely. Dr. Watson sits at his desk, writing a telegram sticking out of his vest pocket. Writing, comma, a telegram sticking out of his vest pocket. His pipe drawing, drawing well. 
Holmes relaxes near the window. After returning their greetings, you hand your cousin his newspaper and sit to talk with Holmes. Although rarely given easily, the detective's thoughts are always worth hearing. As you talk, you notice Watson turn to the back page of his paper. Look at it intently for a moment and then toss it aside with a grunt of disgust. Holmes chuckles. <laughs> You're quite right, Watson. You will make more money telling the story of Silver Blaze than betting on any of tomorrow's races. Well, that's what I decided, Holmes. Watson replies. Those horses would have trouble. How'd you know what I was thinking? I knew the same way I always know. Holmes replies. By observation and reasoning. Besides, Watson, you make so much from my analysis of the trivial that you hardly have right to complain. All right, Holmes. Point's well taken. Watson agrees, blushing as he smiles. Uh, for the life of me, I see. I don't see how you did it this time. I haven't even told you that I was riding on one of your adventures, much less which case. Very well, Watson. I shall explain. Holmes pauses. I have a better idea. Our young friend here will retrace my steps and show us how well he has studied my techniques. Come, see what you can do. I shall provide a little guidance. Suddenly nervous, you marshal your thoughts, trying to remember every significant detail of the morning. Uh, where shall I start? You ask, stalling for time. Why don't you try the telegram first? Holmes suggests. Just before you arrived, Watson received a telegram which he stuck in his pocket without reading. What does that suggest to you? That he was in a hurry? You reply, covering your mouth in dismay at speaking without thinking. No. Wait, it doesn't even tell us who characters are saying this. No. How could he have been in a hurry when he's sitting at his desk? It must be something else. Pick a number and add your intuition bonus. So when it says pick a number... What it it doesn't mean choose a number, it means roll two dice basically. Mm -hmm. So, and then we add our it's, intuition, which is plus one. The complicating factor is they have a different system. If you don't have two dice at the hand, uh, you can instead hover a pen over a page and drop it on a number, which to yep. me seems a nightmarish system. It seems so um, bad. I've rolled. We What's have a seven plus one for our intuition, giving us a total of eight. All right. So then down to page, turn to page 638. 638. Um, well. You say, trying to put your thoughts into words. Dr. Watson must have been very preoccupied with what he was writing. I would guess, with his bulldog nature, that once my cousin sits down to write, he stays at it until he's done a full day's work. Check off clues number, number, letter Z. Very good. Holmes replies. There is some hope for your ambition. Turn to page 311. Worth mentioning, kind of, yeah, like there's a clue inventory type system where it's just a sheet and we're going to be basically check off stuff and surely it's going to ask, like, do you have this checked off? If so, go to this section. So that's going to help keep everything in order. Mm-hmm. So I've written down Zed uh, Watson Workdog on page 638. All right. Holmes continues to guide your analysis of the scene. Now, the question we need to address is, was Watson writing letters or one of his stories? Try to tell just by looking at his desk. It should provide all of the clues you need. Pick a number and add your observation bonus. You mind if I take it? Yeah. You know what? Would I uh, be okay in asking you to roll the number every time now? Uh, sure. That is going to be an 8 plus 1, so that is a 9. We're going to be going to page 110. 
You survey Watson desk, Watson's desk point by point. Envelopes, stamps, other supplies fill the slots along the raised back. A pile of handwritten sheets lies at the left side, while blank paper is handy at the right. Watson pretends to write on a sheet, perhaps to recreate the scene. Three crumpled balls of paper are scattered around his feet. Turn now to 435. Now that you've studied this desk, Holmes says, Is he writing letters or a story? If you say letters, turn to 338. If you say a story, turn to 512. Hmm. Oh, shoot. So he had three crumpled balls that he'd uh, scattered around his feet. So he was clearly throwing things away errantly. Three crumpled balls of paper. He uh, had the pile of handwritten sheets laying on the left-hand side and white blank paper handy in the middle. Handy on the right, rather. Uh, and envelopes, stamps, and other supplies fill the slots along the raised bank. So envelopes That's, and stamps would suggest letter. That sure sounds like letters. They're also on the back. The thing that he has down at his hand may not necessarily be intended to go into one of those stamps. However, maybe he keeps his desk you know, up to date to the activity that he is doing. I think letter is probably more likely. But I think the thing it's is, a safer one, yeah. But he said story, right? Earlier, Watson was like, oh, how'd you know I was writing a story? Oh, didn't tell you that, mister. Um, yeah. And <laughs> so That's... surely the correct conclusion would be story. So how do we see story in this if it's there? That's the thing. Is it's, I, I, My first inkling, and especially like crumpling up and throwing that... That's always textbook, like, I'm writing a letter and I just can't get it right. It just feels so... Mm-hmm. So it's like, even if... I like, I don't want to mentally... Because also, maybe this is like um, a reward for getting the successful check was like, oh, this was supposed to be a gotcha. Like, and it's... Logically, it should be story because of what you've already heard. Oh. And maybe this is our, like, oh, it's actually letters and we'll get to the point where I- it's about a story. I like that, and let me add one final uh, touch in that direction, which is, if you're writing a story, you are probably writing the draft of that story, which means the thing that you are creating as a work product is only intended necessarily for your or your editor's eyes. So you would cross something out rather than crumbling an entire sheet and throwing it away. Whereas if you're writing a letter to someone by hand, the thing they're going to see is the end product. So you can't cross something out. It, like It's like if you get a birthday card and you misspell their name in it. It's like, well, I have to either like you know, no longer have this person as a friend or I need to get another card. <laughs> get a new card. I can't cross that out and correct it. <laughs> Happy. <laughs> Shout out to Michael, who I did that to. Uh, I got the order of the A and the E wrong. Yep. It ha- yep. <laughs> Honestly, it happens. it's on Michael for being Yeah, exactly. Be Mike now. Go by a nickname. You know what? Go by Trevor. I can spell Trevor. T-R-E-V-E-A-O. Yeah, I never know where the A comes in Trevor. It's so difficult. <laughs> Anyways. Uh, I, I agree. We, I do we might think have we should actually out. say that this is a, this is a story. A story? Say it's a story? No, sorry. Letter, 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 yeah. letter. Sorry. 338. Um, this was on 338. Thank you. I think he's writing letters. You say slowly. Probably a batch of letters telling by the number of colleagues about the same matter. He's anxious to get them done, and therefore he ignores everything else. Holmes looks disappointed at the answer. 
At least you didn't parrot me, he says. When I analyzed Watson's actions, I said that he was writing a story. But aside from that, look closely. If a man writes a number of letters, does he pile the finished letters at his side? Or does he put one in an envelope and stamp it before he writes the next one? In addition, wouldn't Watson have some address book handy if he were writing to a number of people? You nod slowly, agreeing with Mr. Holmes's logic. Now, look closely at the crumpled papers at his feet. If he were writing to a number of people on the same matter, would he so foul some sheets that he crumples them and throws them aside? No, that is the sign of the creative artist, frustrated when his thoughts take some false turn. Now see if you can tell what story Watson is writing. Uh, he's wrong. 283. Um, actually, Holmes? <laughs> What if he just filled them out first and yeah. then addressed them later? That's totally possible. You're just being a bit of a jerk about this. Yeah, like, you're just saying you're just saying it's obvious because you were you already found out you were right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, Two eighty three. It was kind of like I. It was one of those things where it's like this seems it seems too obvious because you already said it was a story that it can't, feels like it can't be. We got duped. Mm -hmm. Anyways, two eighty three. Was he thinking about? Writing you, about, rather. You mutter. What clues do I have? If you have checked off clue Z, turn to 383. Otherwise, it doesn't matter. We have it, so 383. Well, Mr. Holmes. You say holding the clues in your mind? I know that Dr. Watson is not easily distracted when he's writing. He ignored that telegram. In spite of that, he grabbed the newspaper and turned it to the back page as soon as I handed it to him. Thus... His story must have reminded him about something, and he is always... Something that is always on the back page. Now, what could that be? Pick a number and add your scholarship bonus of minus two. Well... Did you roll an 11 or a 12? Yeah, because this is a two to eight to go to... No. Uh, that is a three is what we got. Mm. Three after. So, unsurprisingly, we failed the scholarship check. Uh, we would have probably failed it anyways, even if we were bad at it. Because this, you see, is a thing that you study in scholarly pursuits. <laughs> 216. You shake your head in frustration. Can't remember what's on the last page of the paper. You admit. What distracted him, Mr. Holmes? Turn to page 213. We have established that Watson was distracted by the back page of the paper. Summarizes Mr. Holmes. So we must know what we always find on the back page. Many things may be there, but I know one item for certain is listed there every day. The entries for the morrow's races. Now, logically, if the thought of a race entry would distract Watson, he must have been writing about a case that dealt with races. Turn to 195. The only case that both Watson and I have faced that dealt with the racing world was that of Silver Blaze. Holmes continues... I am sure that Watson will make more from this story of that case than he will from his wages. Turn to 442. So we we could have just, like, picked up what was already said. There was no... <laughs> mm -hmm. We got... got. It, was just a, it was just that... It was just that straightforward. So we must trust our own deductions and our own reasoning unless they contradict Sherlock's, in which case it's probably whatever he said. <laughs> it's true, yeah. Right, cool. Oh, Watson... Holmes continues, a mischievous smile on his lips. In your story, did you tell of the dog who did not bark in the night? Indeed, Holmes. He's one of my key points, Dr. Watson notes. As well it should be. 
Holmes turns towards you. It was an important teaching point too. When you investigate something, look for what isn't there or didn't happen as well as what did or was. Watson, now we have fully distracted you from your writing. Shouldn't you read that telegram? Telegram? Watson says in a distracted voice. Oh, yes, that telegram! He rips open the envelope and reads it quickly. Why, Holmes, it's from Sir Henry Baskerville. He invites us for the weekend, noting that he has something to show you well worth your time. He does, does he? Holmes answers. I doubt that. Or he would have come up to London in person. He probably feels he still owes us hospitality for that little matter we solved some time ago. Well, as you receive the telegram, Watson, you must send our refusal. Oh, indeed I will not, Holmes, replies your cousin. Sir Henry provided us the most interesting investigation, you must admit. Surely we can spare him a weekend. The fresh air will do you some good, and you have no case to tie you to London at the time. Oh, very well, Watson. Holmes sighs. I can see that I will have no peace until I agree. We can take a late train Friday afternoon. Then, then the detective busies himself with a pipe once more. I've only one regret, Holmes, Watson adds after giving the page to the reply giving the page the reply to take the telegraph to the office. What is that, Watson? Well, you're going to miss your chance to instruct me in the art of picking up winning racehorses. On Friday, we plan to go back to the track. Holmes pulls his Bradshaw down from the bookcase and looks up the train schedule and nods. Not at all, Watson. He says. We can catch the train at a station near the racing grounds. Unless something holds up the card, we should be able to see the feature and have time to collect our winnings afterwards. You're going to the races, Mr. <laughs> You're going to the races, Mr. Holmes? You ask in some surprise. I didn't know you indulged in that pleasure. I seldom do. Holmes answers. But Watson needs a lesson or two from a logical mind on how to cut his losses. The race on Friday will provide an excellent demonstration. I am certain which horse will win, while Watson has his own ideas on the matter. Oh, why don't you join us? Watson suggests... Then I shall have a witness when I show Holmes that pure logic is not the solution to every problem. Mate, it's here at noon. That is, if it's all right with you, isn't it, Holmes? Certainly. The detective agrees, but from his ex expression you see his mind drifting away towards some other problem. As quickly as politeness permits, you bid them good day and leave. Some small matters delay you on Friday, and Holmes and Watson are boarding the cab as you run up Baker Street to meet them. You, the driver, is busy piling the luggage on top of the groaner. You almost missed us, Watson laughs, waving to you. Oh, should be an interesting afternoon. Holmes is already certain he knows the winner in the feature and mocks my choice. Get in, let's be off. You do not need a second invitation, and soon the three of you are rattling through the streets where most of the populace is concerned with far more serious business than a day at the races. You pay little attention to the London crowds, though, given a rare chance to talk with the world's greatest consulting detective. How is your education progressing? That's a touchy subject. <laughs> Holmes asks courteously, although you have a feeling that he can read your limited success from your looks and attitude. After a moment, you frame a reply. I'm doing well enough, I suppose. I've had some success in finding missing things and uncovering evidence. But I have as much trouble as the police in matters where there are a number of likely suspects. I suppose it'll probably take me years to acquire your knack to cutting to the heart of the situation, Mr. Holmes. It's a lifetime study. Holmes agrees. 
And even then, there will be more than one time when you are proven yourself a fool. That has happened to me, as Watson has told the world in his tales. But one thing to consider. Wherever you are and whatever you happen to be doing, keep your eyes open for things that might lead to crime. My greatest successes have come in matters where I've had an idea in advance that something was going to happen and have been able to take steps to prevent the crime or cap the, uh, capture the perpetrator in the act. That was how Watson and I saved Dr. Roylet's stepdaughter from his evil designs and sold other such cases. Oh, you surely downgrade your genius, Holmes. Watson interjects. You make the most difficult cases seem simple, you know. Not at all. Holmes insists. But if you know a wealthy man has an heir desperate for money, you can prevent a crime by a word in the heir's ear. Or, if we should see a notorious gambler bet heavily on a long shot today, we would protect the purity of the turf with a word to the stewards. A man would make a career of detection, must always have his eyes open to everything around him. It is the only way to do one's job. Oh, enough talk of detection, Holmes! Watson interrupts. Why don't you tell my cousin about the race this afternoon? Explain and do him why your logical and scientific approach to handicapping will do better than my foolish hunch. Watson laughs merrily, even as Holmes frowns. Watson! Holmes snaps. You should know better than to lock mod- mo Lock logic! You should know better than to mock logic. You must admit that your attempts at picking winning horses have cost you half of your pension. Now, now, Holmes. Watson mutters. I've done better than that. What horse do you phaser this evening, Mr. Holmes? You ask. I'm going to bet on Irish Star. The detective answers. He's a very strong horse and runs consistently well. He doesn't belong on the same track with the rest of the field. It's an odd quirk in conditions that allows him to run. From every point of past performance to current condition, there's simply no way I can see for this horse to fail. I see. You say impressed? Then why doesn't my cousin back Irish Star as well? Oh, Dr. Watson. Holmes says loftily. Dr. Watson, rather, intends to bet on a horse called Maywand, because it is named for the battle where he was wounded. He considers it a lucky omen, I believe. Watson squirms slightly, although his usual bulldog expression suggests that he will not change his mind. If you ask Watson about Irish Star, turn to 170, otherwise 603. If you ask for more information in the detective novel, turn to... Yeah, I mean, the only question that would be would be like, is this is there other information we're missing because we're not paying attention somewhere else? But I kind of doubt mm -hmm. it. Um, why don't you like Irish Star, John? You ask the doctor. Mr. Holmes makes him sound like the perfect bet. Well, he answers. What Holmes doesn't understand is that a horse doesn't always run true to form. And I've heard that Irish Star isn't doing too well today. If you eliminate Irish Star, why, my wonder's as good as any other horse in the race. Whatever Holmes thinks of me, I'm not fool enough to bet a bad horse just because I like his name. As Watson chuckles, Holmes remains aloof and unresponsive to the teasing. Pick a number and add your intuition. That is going to be a six, which is not bad, but not good enough. This is a two to seven mm. for a fail, a eight to 12 for a success. On the very top range of the failure. Yeah. But a failure nonetheless. 603 is where we were going anyways, I think, if I remember correctly, if we mm -hmm. didn't ask. Holmes fills the rest of your trip to the track with stories from his past investigations, recounting many of the odd sources of information which may have yielded clues. 
You sit drinking it in, hoping you can use some of his ploys when faced with similar problems yourself. Finally, you reach the Thameside Racing Grounds. It's a simple place, for races are run here every few weeks in the year. Low hills near the track provide alternative, alternative seating to the small grandstand and also shields the stables from some of the noise raised by the stands of the nearby railroad. Stands and the nearby railroad. Fresh paint on the stands and fences. That makes me think of a railroad. What if you had bleachers set up by a railroad and everyone just cheers when the train goes by? <laughs> yeah! All right, that was it. That it that exact same setup got me to the direction of people uh, standing to cheer when they need to get out of the way of the train that runs directly through the bleachers. <laughs> uh, fresh paint on the stands and fences as well as the excellent condition of the turf show that the groundskeepers have made every effort to get the oval track ready for the races. As you pass through the gates, Holmes glances around him, following his habitual pattern of seemingly observing everything. Anything interesting, Holmes? Watson asks. Hope we shan't have to give up all these pleasures to pursue some rogue. He laughs. Holmes smiles thinly. No rogues, but there's a man who once crossed the line. He indicates a plump little man dressed in tweeds who's giving directions to a wagon driver. His name is Phillips. At his wit's end, he was about to steal from an uncle to get the money to go into business. I warned his uncle, who listened to the plans, and lent him his money. Now he supplies grain and hay to half the racing stables in south of London. Suddenly, Holmes's face hardens. He mutters. I'm surprised those men are allowed anywhere near a stable. Pick a number and add your observation. Two to eight is a failure. And uh, Roll an eight for us, buddy. This is a plus one, right? Yep, I got an eight. I got an eight plus one. That's a nine. We're going to 523. We've observed a thing. Hell yeah, what we observed? You see two men joining the crowd, one dressed nattily like an upper-class dandy, and the other wearing loud clothes of a lower type of sporting toff. What? What's wrong with them, Mr. Holmes? You ask. Holmes looks at you with approval. You're learning. He mutters. Turn to 142. The men I saw are gamblers. Holmes explains. They've been implicated in one or two races that had odd results, though no charges could be proven in court. I wasn't asked to look into the cases, as it happens. But even if it were, even if I were, even if it were impossible for the jockey club to warm them off the turf entirely, I'm surprised that anyone would allow them near the horses. The gentlemanly one is named Fitzhugh, while his partner is named Bowser. Write that down, write that down! Watson leads the way to one of the low hills between the stables and track and shakes out a blanket for the three of you to sit on. Oh, I see. Watson explains. A lucky seat? Holmes asks sardonically as he sits down. Watson tries to wither Holmes with a look. Oh, luck has nothing to do with it, Holmes. This gives us a good view of the horse's warm-up. It's convenient to the wagering tables. The truth of this observation is proven during the early races. Watson takes full advantage of the convenient location, with a success that has him crowing with delight. Pick a number and then add your intuition. This is a two to five. What's <laughs> a thirteen? Oh, we see yeah. this something fierce. 
So we pick a number and we add our intuition bonus. So if we got a 2 to 5, we go to 363. If we get a 6 to 12, we go to 384. Where do we go, we go if we roll a 13? Yeah, where do we go? We to the end of the mystery. Just... <laughs> Congratulations. You, you found the bad you guy. You solved the mystery. You literally just witnessed the, you witnessed the mystery. Like you witnessed the crime. Like, I don't know what to say. You're fine. You did it. Congrats. Uh, all right, 384. I mean, uh, and of course on that one, where it's like we didn't even need to roll that high of five. Mm. Is there one man you regularly place wagers with? You ask Dr. Watson as he pockets his winnings from the preceding race. Oh, yeah. Oh, he's bet with Roscoe. He answers. Holmes seems to stiffen a bit at the name and then asks. Doesn't the man's reputation concern you a little, Watson? There's been mention of Roscoe benefiting from one of the major upsets. Oh, there's always that sort of talk for every such chap. Watson scoffs. I know that Roscoe's honest with his customers. He always has the cash on hand to pay me when I win, and one cannot say that of all his rivals. And he adds booths at every track, which I find convenient. Also, you often get better odds from a man who does a good deal of trade. Pick a number and add your scholarship bonus, and we need a seven. <sighs> we need an eight. We need above. So we need to roll a 10 or better with our negative two. Do you do it? You know what sucks? I roll a nine, which is a, that's a failure. Ooh. It's a, it's a, it's the closest we can get to success without getting a success. Three, Look, they haven't given us any athletics chips yet, but when they do, we're just going to fly through all of them. It's true. That I'll say it's not coming up a whole lot yet. We'll see. I feel like it's usually the stat that comes up when things have gone wrong. So mm-hmm. we'll, we'll probably we're on our way there. <laughs> we'll get there. <laughs> Watson <laughs> looks at his watch. Come along, Holmes. He urges. Oh, come along, Holmes. He so, urges. Let's place our wages for the horse for the main event when they're brought out. No sense in waiting when we know which horse we want back. The two men walk towards the wagering tables, leaving you unattended. Awaiting their return, you overhear two men behind you mention Irish Star causing you to look at them. One is Phillips, the grain dealer Holmes pointed out to you earlier. From his massive size and leather apron, you, the other man, appears to be a smith. Phillips is doing the talking, and you try and sneak close to them and overhear the conversation. Pick a number and add your artifice bonus. Two out of a negative two. Did you roll a seven? Did you do it? No. (laughs) You know, it's an interesting time. I don't think it's ever going to be relevant, but uh, I, I, an interesting note in the beginning of the book is if you ever roll, if your score is ever lower than two, you just round up to two. Hmm. That's something I just, that's just an interesting note I have right now for no reason in particular. Definitely didn't roll a three minus two equals one equals a page that we can't turn to either. <laughs> so well, 162, we overhear nothing. <sighs> Surely it's fine as you mingle with the people near phillips and the smith phillips notices you no bench he says looking around i think we'd better talk this over later when we can be a bit more private with a nod of agreement the two men separate turn to 358 oh no i would have loved a clue right there oh oh i could i could really go for a clue right about now (laughs) Holmes and Water, you're just going to get to the end of the mystery and you're like, all right, Johnny Curbstomp, who did it? 
Uh, that, that's, you know what? Uh, that's me. Watson. Slap the cuffs on me, buddy. It was me. <laughs> the only way I'm going to solve this is to confess. You're not going to convince me otherwise. I, I did it. I did it. <laughs> Whatever the crime was, because I wasn't <laughs> really sure. <laughs> <laughs> I, I we just had a nice day at the track but i'll go away for 15 to life <laughs> i stole those ki killed those uh those i stole those kills on mid lane <laughs> i killed <stole. laughs> i admit i admit i stole from the carry i wanted i just want to see a bigger number i want to buy more wards anyways <laughs> Holmes and Watson return from placing their bets, continuing their earlier argument for about the horses. As they settle comfortably on the grass, trumpets sound for the horses to enter the track. And outriders lead the thoroughbreds onto the track. Dr. Watson rises eagerly. There they come, Holmes, he says, pointing at the horses. Irish star is the handsome grey with the yellow and blue silks. Maywood's in the black, his rider wears brown. Did you see him? Pick a number and add your observation bonus. Two to seven. That's a 12. That's a 12. That's an 11 rolled into a 12. We finally saw something. We see something. It's, we're either, we either extremely see something or never heard of it. Oh, it's not 615. Sorry, what was Six, the 651. You flip-floppied. Ah, I see. Yeah, <sighs> Irish Star is a fine-looking horse. Watson admits, studying the handsome gray, but as he runs through a patter of admiration... Even though he didn't bet on the horse... It seems to you that Irish Star looks dull and heavy-footed, as if he is sleepwalking. Turn to 508. Not a clue to bark Someone down. Someone has drugged Irish Star. Oh. That's a clue. Right there, right there, right there. What? <laughs> On what clue? Uh, I don't know. It said, it said to keep notes in addition, <laughs> but I can't write. Watson appears to be watching Irish Star with great care, perhaps hoping to notice some flaw that will prove the wisdom of his choice. What? The jockey's feeding some to Irish Star? He suddenly says in a surprise. This is a funny time for that, I should think. Oh, check off clue A and turn to 408. It is a clue. After the horses warm up, the starter quickly gets them lined up at the white chalk and gives the signal for the start. The horses break, but the Irish Star erupts more slowly than the others and doesn't respond when his rider whips. The heavy favorite is running well behind the field. The two of the three lead... The two or three leaders seem intent on building their advantage, apparently afraid that the Grey's superiority will still emerge. Under the jockey's constant whipping, the Irish star tries to respond, but the big Grey does not run well. The horses cross the finish line in a bunch, and Watson's delighted yell reveals that Maywin might have been the winner. Irish star finishes ten lengths back, looking tired and almost bored by the effort. <laughs> so much for science, Holmes! Watson laughs. This will make my leg ache feel better on rainy days. Holmes's eyes hold on to something of disdain as he looks back at the doctor. Indeed, Watson? He asks. Has the bullet moved from your shoulder to your leg again? I should think it would be very obvious, even to your prejudiced view, that something was very wrong with the running of that race. You cut in before Watson can sputter out the obvious indignation. <laughs> wrong, Mr. Holmes? You ask, curious. Uh, wrong, Mr. Holmes. <laughs> Pick a number and add your communication bonus. Uh, that is going to be a six, which is just enough. Two to five, go to 286. 
uh, 6 to 12 turned to 663. Uh, of course. Holmes comments. I felt that something was wrong when I saw how lifeless the horse was when he came out of the gate. Remember what I told you about watching for crimes before they can be committed? Yes, sir. You answer. Who would have done such a thing? W will you investigate it? I hardly have time since Watson and I must catch our train in an hour. There are three or four possibilities that come to mind, however. What are they? You ask. Surely you saw them yourself. Answers the detective. But I will detail them for you. That will save Watson the trouble of inventing the dialogue if he writes about this little mishap. I believe I mentioned my surprise at seeing Bowser and Fitzhugh near the stable, drugging the horses not beneath them. Second, I have always wondered at Roscoe. He has had some remarkable successes in his day. Then, there are those who would say that Lord Hampton would do almost anything to help one of his horses win, not for the money, but for the thrill of owning a winner. And I suppose that Colonel Stewart, Irish Star's owner, has serious financial problems. It would be a clever ploy to put the horse in a race he's too good for and then make sure he loses while backing one of the competition. But only investigation would show which is true, or whether the guilty party, if there is one, isn't someone that we haven't become aware of. For example, some other horsemen might want to buy Irish Star, and the defeat combined with Colonel Stewart's hypothetical financial problems would guarantee a cheaper selling price. Turn to 654. Interesting. So we have suspects, though. Could be worth it. We do indeed. Uh, so our suspects here are Bowser and Fitzhugh. Bless you. Thank you kindly. Uh, we have Roscoe. Bless you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, gesundheit. Uh, we, we have Colonel Stewart. And we have Lord Hampton. We'll see whether those become relevant immediately, but let's start to 654. Uh, the Lord Hampton, the final one. Uh, Gesundheit. <laughs> Danke schön. Uh, all right, 654. For a time, there's little talk. As you wait for the signal that the race results are official, and as you stand waiting, a tall, heavy man hurries up to you. He looks like the stereotype of a former army officer, ramrod, ramrod-backed with a red face set off by a graying moustache. Mr. Sherlock Holmes, he asks your companion, and the detective nods. Ah, I thought I recognized you, he says. I am Colonel Ian Stewart, owner of the Irish Star. As you may be well aware, he was the heavy favorite for the race today. I am well aware of that fact, Holmes answers coldly. I lost a pound on him, as it happens. Then, if you know racing, sir, you should know that something was done to my horse today. I should like you to investigate the matter. This time, Holmes's chill warms slightly. I did notice something amiss, he replies. I will admit that it might have been an interesting investigation. However, I must catch a train tonight, and I fear I have no time for any other case until I return. Then he softens, perhaps taking pity at the man's downcast face. You might try Dr. Watson's cousin here, he adds. Uh, do you recommend him, sir? The colonel responds. He is young at the trade, but it is no more blind and foolish than the police detectives. Holmes answers with no hint of jest. You could do worse. When Colonel Stewart offers you the job, you nod eagerly and quickly begin to question him. Pick a number and add your intuition. Holy, that's a... Uh, 11. <laughs> Math. Plus 1, right? Yep. That's a 642. 
A one, a two. May I ask you a question or two, Colonel? You begin. Of course. He replies. Who takes care of your horse? I employ Henry Raines as a trader, says the colonel. He is a well-known man in the field and trades horses for several owners. He is one of the most respected men in the field. The heavy work is done by my groom, John Oliver. He's been with me for two years and has been loyal even when I've been a trifle slow with his pay. Turn to page 410. <laughs> Do you have any notion of who might have wished to interfere with Irish Star's performance? You ask the colonel. Why no, of course not. He answers indignantly. If I did, I would have confronted the blighter and not come chasing after Mr. Holmes. Most likely some blaggard did it to make a profit on another horse. Oh, I got another book, another blaggard. Blaggards from here to there. Oh. Blaggards in every port. Holmes interrupts your question with a sharp whistle, and a rather grubby-looking youth in his early teens runs up and snaps to a dubious imitation of attention. Holmes turns to you. Oh, Stanley, here's one of my irregulars. He explains. He practically lives with the horses and knows everyone and everything that happens around the track. Assign him to watch one of your suspects and you will be able to cover more ground. You accept the offer and give the lad his instructions. If you have Roscoe followed, check decision one. If you have Fitzhugh and Bowser followed, decision two. Stuart's groom, John Oliver, followed, decision three. And then turn to 427. So Bowser and Fitzhugh uh, seem like if they did it, entirely possible they did, but if they did it, they would have done it for someone else. There's not necessarily an intrinsic motivation there. There's a lot of intrinsic motivations for the other characters. Mm -hmm. um, we can't set this person to go and watch Colonel Stewart while we're away, nor Lord Hampton, unfortunately. They could, could check uh, John Oliver. And True. What was Roscoe's interaction? Do you recall? Uh, Roscoe was the uh, bet taker. Yes, 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 the bet taker. So definitely had something to gain here. I think we should probably go with the person with the strongest motive. Yeah, being Roscoe. Roscoe. Yes. I, I, yeah, I think it's the only one. So check off decision one, and then go to four twenty-seven. This is a neat format. <laughs> it really is. I'm pretty hype on this series. I'm jazzed. <laughs> <laughs> well, you seem to have settled into the case. Holmes adds, looking at his watch. Be careful in this matter. Do not make any charges or draw undue attention to what happened until you obtain solid evidence. Hints of a charge in a case like this are every bit as bad for the reputations involved as conviction itself. Unless you can force the guilty to confess, I suggest that you merely assemble the evidence and present me with your conclusions when I return to London. I will send you a note when I get back to uh, Baker Street. Watson, meet me on the train platform, if you please. Good luck. The detective turns away and then swings back as one last thought strikes him. Remember, the dog who didn't bark in the night, he says. What do you mean, Holmes? Watson demands before you can phrase your own question. It occurs to me, Watson, what? Holmes explains, that whoever arranged for Irish Star to lose may not have intended Maywon to win. He turns and walks off with his characteristic long stride. If you join Dr. Watson as he collects his winnings, turn to 489. If you go straight to the stable with Colonel Stewart, turn to 565 and check off decision 4.
So I think because we have Roscoe currently being watched that we should follow Stuart at this point. I agree. Excellent. Let's check decision four. And then turn to 565. The only, yeah, the only thing would be uh, if figuring out, because not thinking that Roscoe's being suspicious, but thinking the owner of the horse could have, the line of thinking that the owner of the horse could have placed a bet on just a different horse. The question being, are we going to get that information if we, would we have gotten that information if we'd gone? Mm-hmm. I mean, with both sure. watching Colonel Stewart and Roscoe, we, I think, you have assume. our bases covered for the possibility. Which, you'd, I mean, if assume. we work by conclusion of deduction like that, like, if he has financial problems, his only motivation for this kind of action would be financial. If we know he's not making financial gain, we can kind of strike him out. Yeah. Um, oh, shoot. What page was this? Uh, that was 565. 565. Colonel Stewart leads the way through the crowd around and around the stands to the stable area. He strides briskly, forcefully, and people seem to scurry out of his way. Turn to 174. You and Colonel Stewart have a small barn to yourselves. The only visible stall is Irish Stars. The barn appears to be old and worn, although there are signs that the owners of the track have been working to repair it. Colonel Stewart's, Stewart notices you studying it and laughs. <laughs> it might not be the best barn here, he explains. But they let me have it for naught as it's being prepared. We shall be here for a week only. Like my uh, Scots ancestors, I'll save a penny wherever I can. If you question Colonel Stewart, turn to 219. If you question his men, turn to 481. Hmm. Hmm. I mean, we can get an Worn and repaired. Interesting. Yeah, it, it needs. He's trying to get it for free. He's, we're trying. We're. It's noting that he's trying to save money, which mm -hmm. anybody can. But, but in a book like this, that might be noteworthy. It's also noting that where the horse is kept is insecure and in the process of being repaired. So if someone had made entryway for themselves, it would be covered up in the action of repair. True. 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 Um. So, having considered we've already uh, had a discussion with Colonel Stewart before this point, do we want to question his men? Maybe have a discussion with John Oliver? Um, let's see. I I'm open to entertaining an alternative uh, option as well. That is just the first that throws itself into my mind. I, my, my head is kind of just like, I don't think it's Colonel Stewart at this point, but it'd be nice to be able to cross it off completely by maybe ch checking with him directly. I don't know. If there's, mm -hmm. I I think that I think it's just going to be a lot of a a book where a lot of things are both seemingly valid and maybe even both are valid. Very but very true. I'm happy you seem uh, more confident in the talking to the men, so let's do that. Four eighty one. Let's do it. Four eighty one. Colonel Stewart leads you to the to the other stables. Here he rents two stalls, both of which are clean and well tended. A neat tack room holds a cot where the groom sleeps. Stewart's two men are waiting for your arrival. Henry Raines, the trainer, is a thin, dried-out man with a sharp nose and narrow eyes. He has the air of a man who knows his business. Behind him stands John Oliver, the groom, dressed in work clothes. He has an open, red face and seems a very ordinary sort of working man. This gentleman is a detective, Colonel Stewart explains. It is obvious that something was done to Iris Star today, and I have hired him to investigate the matter. Investigate? Rain snaps. Does that mean you think we did it to the horse? His eyes flash. No, 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 no. Stuart assures him. 
I shall explain. Oh, you had better start with Oliver. The colonel says to you, and dead a nod, John Oliver follows you to an empty stall. Now, you must help me, Mr. Oliver, for I'm terribly ignorant about the care of racehorses and the duties of various men around them. You begin, anxious to put him at ease. But I must have some solid information to stand a chance of unraveling this case. Sure thing, Gav. The groom eagerly replies. I'm always glad to help the gentry. Just shoot your questions, I'll tell you anything you need to know. Thank you, you answer. I shall be certain to tell Colonel Stewart how helpful you are. First, exactly what do your duties as a groom entail? Well, I'll do what you might expect, Gav, says Oliver. I mock out the stall and lay down fresh straw in the morning. I feed the horse and I cools him out sometimes. Now, on race days like today, Mr. Raines has a boy of his who walks him to the race so I can have everything ship-shaped when he comes back to the stall. And of course, I groom him a couple times a day, keep the big boy as pretty as a picture, I'll do. If you have clue T, turn to 644, which we don't, otherwise turn to 495. So, but also, on a race days like this, Mr. Raines has a boy of his who walks, walks him after the race. So everything should After the race, After yes. The race. Yeah. All right. 495. You study the groom for a moment. You know, Oliver, a lot of people were surprised that Irish Star ran so badly today. Colonel Stewart thinks something might have been done to the horse. Do you have any idea what might have happened or why the horse ran so poorly? Me, Gov. Oliver asks in surprise. Well, if I knew that, I'd, if I knew what made a horse run good some days and bad others, I'd be making a better living than get for mocking out stables. Even if the best horse is unpredictable as the weather, why, there's men what say 50 ways a horse can lose a race or more. So the colonel's just grasping at straws for what he claims that something was done to his horse. Rocking on his heels, Oliver pauses, expecting a reply. If you say nothing, turn to 666. If you ask how Irish Star trained, turn to 272. I think we need to ask how they trained. Let's get some information. Do you want to see what happens if we say nothing? I'm down. I, I, here's here's my thought. I people I know that I I'm not guilty of it. A lot of times they say when you're questioning people, sometimes the best thing you can do is give them time to fill in the silence. Yes, and they'll start telling you more than they'd expected because they are uncomfortable more by the silence than by having to expose themselves. That's my I just I just have this hunch. But I might be Let's wrong. do it. Let's turn to 666 and see if we can employ that as a strategy. After an, <laughs> after an awkward pause, Oliver continues. Yes, sir. I think it was just a bad day for the horse. Shook me because he trained well for the race, but it happens the best of him sometimes. Then he winks. Just before you spend too much time detecting, just remember that the colonel aren't all that good at paying his bills, right? Turn to 641. Gazing out the open door, you consider further questions for John Oliver. If you ask whom he saw near the stable, 262, otherwise 309. I mean, this seems like a... Yeah, absolutely. Let's check. Yeah. Doesn't seem like we're getting anything else out of it by going the other way. Did you see any strangers near the stables this morning? Anyone who looks like they had no business being there? You inquire. Oliver thinks for a moment, squinting his beady eyes, and then he nods. Yeah, yeah I did golf as it happens. I saw a couple gents seemed, uh, uh, bows and fits you. Uh, what, what bets a lot? But then, them two hangs around on a stable all the time. 
looking for a word to guide their wagering if you gets my drift. Course, it'd cost a man his job and a beating on top of it if he would tip off a couple of towers like that. Check off clue V and turn to 309. Satisfied that you've gotten all the information possible from John Oliver, you dismiss him. The groom takes a bucket and goes out after water. As Colonel Stewart has calmed down, Henry Raines, the trainer, is now willing to talk to you. Up close, the man shows quiet self-confidence, typical of a true professional. If you have clue G, turn to 336. We don't, do we? We do not, so 353 is our location. You search for just the right question to ask Raines. If you ask him if he bet on Irish Star, 252. If you ask him why the horse ran badly, 453. I think both of these run the risk of upsetting him. Yeah. Well, then we get the shine with all uh, left uh, and right. Oh, I see, I see, I see. Um, you know what? I'm. I think one of them implicates him as possibly causing a crime, and the other one implicates him as being a poor trainer. And I think he would probably prefer to be called a criminal. Yeah. Uh, let's go for two fifty-two. Exactly. Did you bet on him? Did you wager on Irish Star, Mister Reigns? You ask. No, sir. I'm making a point not to wager on the horses. The trainer frankly replies. I feel it's not proper in my position. If you rephrase the question, turn to 399, otherwise 380. Uh, maybe 399 being, did someone else have you? Mmm. I like it. That's my only guess of what that would mean. 399? You never wager? You ask astonished. I thought all racing people gave it a go every now and then. I mean, how can you resist? Pick a number, add your communication bonus. Oh, this is a higher roll. Only an 11 or 12 will get us over the line. A 10, 11 or 12, granted, with our plus one. Five. Five. That's oh! 11. That's an 11. Oh, Johnny Curb Stomp's silver tongue. You can't escape our silver tongue. Blah. 179? Most racing people, won't you, sir? Reigns agrees. I'm one of the exceptions. I train horses for many men. I get so much information that many of the bets I could make would be giving me more than the trouble of the profit's worth. And more than that, sir, I've been in the business for 40 years. I've seen all the ways a horse can lose. No horse is sure enough thing to risk my money on. Just look at what happened to Irish Star today. You can see how risky any bet can be. Turn to 380. Oh, shoot. That critical success didn't even give us anything? Oh. You consider his answer a moment, hunting for the best phrasing for the next question. If you ask why the horse ran badly, turn to 453, otherwise 430. You know what? Why did it suck? Are yeah. you bad at your job? <laughs> Are you bad at your job and bad at horses? <laughs> Are you no good at horse making? <laughs> Is your animal handling skill low? Oh, no. Do you have any idea why Irish Star ran so badly today? You ask the trainer. Reigns hesitates for a moment, then shakes his head. I really don't, unless Colonel Stewart's right and someone drugged the horse. I was certain, as certain as I've ever been, that my horse was going to win. I swear. If you ask why he was truly certain, turn to 202. Otherwise, 430. I mean, I mean we know 430's the... We might as well. Yeah, 202. If we, we make someone mad, we have, yeah, we have ways to... Why were you so confident? Why were you so confident that they would win despite the fact that you suck ass at your job? <laughs> you ask. <laughs> Why were you so confident? You ask. Oh, wait. Oh. 
So that was an aside. Rather than, yeah. Why are you so confident? I always thought that trainers were aware of the many ways that a horse can lose and thus never feel confident before a race. Literally, that's what he just said. He, 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 duh. We s- contradiction. Pick a number and at. <laughs> wow. That oh, not, no. No, that's a 12. It's more just like we're, we're I mean, I guess I was going to say we're only balling out of control on the low checks because this is a two to five. You don't need to be very good. But that's just not true. Mm. We just we were balling out of control in the last one too. Uh, so we get a communication <sighs> theoretically success on two forty two. Usually, I agree. Reigns admits. But Irish stars a step above the horses he raced today, and not only that, he was better than far by the other beauty in the races. He also trained very, very well of late. Why, just two days ago, I walked him up to Lord Hampton's champion Queensland, and he ran stride for stride with him. Ask Lord Hampton if you need proof. He was watching it and he was mighty upset. Because you see... Reigns continues as if lecturing a class. On the racing form, Irish stars are notch below the great stakes horses, just as he's a notch above the ones he raced today. Check clue D and turn to 430. Hmm. Thank you for your time. You tell Reigns. I appreciate your candor, knowing what a busy man you are. My pleasure. The trainer answers. Turn to page 570. And should we take a break here? So I was going to check and see if... Uh, yeah, let's take a break here. All right. So we are going to turn to 570. There we go. What a a segue in. (laughs) Mm -hmm. All right. Colonel Stewart approaches after you finish talking with Reigns. I trust you have all of the information that my men could give you, he says. Is there anything else you wish to do with the stable? I have an appointment. If you ask to search the stables, turn to 172, otherwise 298. Is that... I think that's what we left on the other time. So w- we did not search the stables, did we? Um, We didn't specifically search the stables. We did uh, we talk talked to around, the people yeah. in there. But we didn't, like... Search feels like we're gathering maybe a clue, which, again, it does feel like a why wouldn't we moment... But I guess based off of the intro section, it, it almost sounded like there could be a downside to getting clues that are not relevant, like red herrings. Maybe you'll accidentally mm. use a clue that isn't actually pertinent. Who knows? I wonder if we will have the opportunity to consider them red herrings at the time. I, I have in, a feeling. Like, if you would like to you know, use the evidence that you found in the stables. Yeah, go to here. I, I think that's what it's going to do. I think it's going to present us with a, here are a couple, like, this is where you can try and use some clues. That is my guess. And it's like, if you want to try and use this, go to the here, et cetera, et cetera. That's my guess. But uh, I'd, I'd like to search 172. Let's do it. We'll figure it out if it's trash and not use it later, if that's the case. I'd like to search the stable, if I may. You tell the colonel. We may still find some incriminating evidence there. The colonel looks surprised and nods. Well, well, if you think that's truly necessary. He says slowly. Turn to page 105. He says slowly. Interesting. Hmm. You stand poised to search Cornel. Cornel Stewart. It's a corn colonel. A cornel. Stewart. Uh, you are poised to search the stables. Search the groom's room, the Irish star's stall, or the tack room. Hmm. Hmm. 
I mean, immediately leaping to mind is uh, we should probably start the search in Irish Star Store. I think so. I'm just wondering if I need to actually write down this branching path. Probably not based off of... It's... There's been no backtracking that has not been supported by the book where it's like, eh, just go and do the other thing. It's like, we're... Mm -hmm. So there's a chance we're only able to check one thing. And if that's the case, I do think we check the stall on 455. If decision seven is checked, turn to 105, is it? Uh, it is not. You begin to search Irish Star's stall. It's a snug place, solidly built. The straw is fresh and clean, and the feed box and water buckets are clean and ready for the horse. Check off decision seven. Pick a number and add your artifice bonus. Oh, God, that's right. What is our artifice? Is that, uh, my, my, is that a minus? That's a great question. Um, let me open the reporter's band to our stats. I believe Artifice is, uh, one of our minuses. Oh, God. Why did I have to flip away from this page? Now I don't know what it was. Well, I got a feeling it's not gonna matter. <laughs> that would be very useful to give me a moment to continue searching through this. Uh, yeah, that, that is a, yep, that is a four, so it's two to seven, turn to five thirteen, so, like, yeah, I was, I'll just go to 513. Let's see if I can. Mm-hmm. A more thorough search of the stable reveals nothing of interest. If you search elsewhere, turn to 105. Otherwise, turn to 298. I mean, 105, I think. Isn't that where we just our character Johnny Curb Stomp? We had negative two on Artifice. Oh, okay. Wait. Oh, yeah. 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 All right. So 105, That that's right. That was the um, the stall, the groom's room, tack room. Yes, I believe that's our choice. And that's, okay, that's why it was saying, if you get, if you turn the page uh, 455 again, it sends us right back to 105. So it's yep. saying we, we can't search again. I like it. I, I, I approve. I approve of that method as well. Uh, yeah, groom- exactly, because otherwise we have to, like, mentally shut ourselves out of that. Yeah. So, Groom's Room, should we just go top to bottom? Since it seems we'll probably be able to search everything once. Let's do it. Oh, shoot. Was that 195? 197. 197. I keep on scrolling really far to get to the hundreds, and then I'm like, oh, yeah, it starts on page 100. Uh, if decision five's checked, turn to 105. When you glance over the stables, you had the thought the groom customarily slept in the tack room. Now you see the wooden partition breaks the space into two little rooms. John Oliver's quarter consists of a shelf with his razor and combs, a cot with a blanket folded on it, and a chest shoved under the cot. Clothes hang on three hooks on the wall with a small window with a sliding shutter providing a little air. Check off decision five, pick a number, and add your artifice. We're going to need you to roll a 10 or a better. I roll a 10 or a better. More specifically, <gasps> a 10. So that That's is incredible. A, that is an 8 to, eight to 12. We go to 422. Man, I can't wait Hell until yeah. we get to use our fists for one of these things. Oh, it's going to be so good. You find a small medicine bottle wrapped in a man's handkerchief hidden between the shutter and the outside wall. Turning it around, you look at the label and turn to 628. Horse go slow juice? Weird. (laughs) A handwritten label reads, Horse go slow juice. Hastings Distillative Opium. Check off clue eight. Pick a number and add your scholarship bonus, which is, I'm pretty sure, another minus. That is a nine, so that I think that's a mixed result, isn't it? 
It is a mixed result. The seven to nine. Uh, we reduce seven to nine and then go to three, five, two. Reduce seven. Reduce seven. Yes. Three, fifty, two. Three, fifty, two. You recognize the name of the drug on the bottle and realize the drug could could well make a horse run slow. <laughs> a horse goes slow. Hmm. <laughs> Check deduction eight. If you have clue G turned to 601, do we? Uh, We do not. All right. Turn to 302. But deduction eight. What is this? Yes. Um, opium make horse go slow. <laughs> oh, he goes slow. Uh, right. You carefully put the bottle in your jacket pocket and wonder whether or not you should search the other parts of the stable. Yeah. I imagine we ought. Let's turn back to just, 105 to take our final four search. Four. 404 is sure. the uh, place we gotta go. Just skip right there. Uh, decision six is checked. Turn to 105. Yep. Tack room is sparkling clean with the riding and grooming equipment set neatly in place. Bridles hang from the hooks on the wall. Saddles sit on supports while blankets and other materials are folded neatly on the shelves. Several large trunks hold smaller items. Check off decision six, pick a number, and add your artifice. Gonna need a ten or better again. Oh, that's a nine. That is, that's a feels bad failure. That is a close but no cigaroon. That's five thirteen. That's a high roll required, anyways. Mm-hmm. All right, two ninety-eight with us. No clue. Certain that you have learned everything possible at Colonel Stewart's stable, you decide to leave. Bidding the Colonel a good day, you remind him that you'll continue your investigative efforts elsewhere. Walking back to the track, you see a group of high-spirited men congratulating a slender, well-dressed fellow. As you get closer and the men shout how well his horse ran, you realize that this richly appointed man is Lord Hampton. If you'd like to talk to Lord Hampton, 583, otherwise 212. I, again, I, mean, I haven't seen evidence of it being a bad idea to talk to people yet, like a, because we're too slow. But also, maybe we wouldn't get that. Maybe we wouldn't know. Maybe I, I certainly think we should talk to Lord Hampton. We have yeah, another yeah. reason to suspect Lord Hampton as well. I can't remember exactly what, but he's in my list of suspects. He sounds rich. <laughs> mm -hmm. Get him. Cuffs oh, on. That's good enough for me. But... But I didn't have anything to do with the horse. Yeah, no, no, that's not what we're actually yeah, for, yeah, buddy. Yeah, 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 This is that. Uh, yeah. Unless Lord is your first name, get in jail. <laughs> you boldly approach Lord Hampton and introduce yourself after congratulating him on his victory. You explain your job. Colonel Stewart was very unhappy with Irish Star's performance and wanted Mr. Holmes to investigate. You say, watching closely Lord Hampton's reactions. Of course, as Mr. Holmes had to catch a train, I inherited the task. I should appreciate the views of a man with as much experience in horses as you have, your lordship. After looking perplexed for a moment, Lord Hampton nods and leads you to a small, tidy office beside his stable. With a subject this delicate, I prefer to talk in private. He explains. Now, how may I help you? If you want to ask about Irish Star, 362, otherwise 629. No, I just wanted to shoot the breeze, buddy. What's up? <laughs> let's, let's head to 362, I suspect. I am an excellent hang. <laughs> <laughs> Why do you think Irish Star ran so badly? You ask. Lord Hampton takes his time before answering. Certainly surprised me, he says slowly. 
The horse trained with my best earlier this week and all but beat him. Iris Star should have finished leagues ahead of Maywand and the rest, but that's racing, he adds, changing his tone slightly as he looks over to the you, blue shell. <laughs> you never can be quite sure what a horse will do, no matter how good it is. Check off clue D. Turn to 629. What's the clue here? Whoa. Uh, okay, so Clue D, we already have filled, interestingly. Clue D was, uh, that above its, it was racing above competition, and it was racing just below the great horses. Gotcha. Oh, oh, interesting. So we can get- So another way to find out the same clue. That's news, and I like it. I like it a lot. Thank goodness. So it's not just a one-and-done failure. You can get these things different ways. Good to know. Mm -hmm. 629. I shall be glad to see this matter cleared up. Lord Hampton says, speaking deliberately. Any hint of scandal is bad for all of us, and it's doubly revolting to see a horse as fine as Irish Star perform so poorly. If you have clue you, turn to 111. I know we don't, because I would have thought that was fun <laughs> we don't unfortunately we have clue v uh otherwise it pick a looks number so close and add your intuition that we have a plus one on please tell me we have a plus one on don't say psych we have a plus one on intuition oh no, let's sorry. go six plus one we get a seven then all right 178 you realize that lord hampton is an ambitious man and wonder whether that ambition might include owning irish star if you ask Lord Hampton about offering to buy Irish Star for 93, otherwise, if you don't want to get benefit from your good skill check, go to 317. Let's actually get a benefit from our good skill yeah. check on 493 as we ask him, uh, hey, did you have any incentive maybe to make him race slower so you could buy it? Yeah. Short the horse market. I heard that you offered to buy Irish Star very recently. You say slowly, watching for a reaction. Lord Hampton raises one eyebrow in surprise and then laughs softly. <laughs> I always said there were no secrets in a racetrack, he says in a low voice. I knew that Colonel Stewart was in financial trouble and I offered to buy the horse. I thought I might get a bargain and now I shall likely strike an even better deal. I've heard that if he didn't win the purse... The stewards might take legal action to force the colonel to pay back his debt, but I did give him fair warning. I told him I would pay five hundred pounds for the race, or two fifty after. A wager between us, you might say. Check clue you and turn to three seventy. No extra rhyme. Clue, <laughs> clue, clue, clue. This is on page four nine three. I mean, that's a pretty good motive right there. Yeah. Money. I don't go to the races often, you say. But it seemed to me that Irish Star looked sluggish when he came onto the track. I'm surprised the stewards let him run. Oh, the stewards would be very reluctant to scratch him. Lord Hampton brusquely replies. Especially considering the popularity of that horse. If you have Clue H for horse, turn to 662. D buddy? We have Clue H for wow. horse. And I'll tell you what, it is slang as well. Uh, yeah, no, that's H for uh, opium. Um, 
I mean, horse horse is the slang for heroin, but it, it, look, it's it, we're working in the broad realm. Hopium. Wait, that's yeah, a, that's there a we Twitch go. thing. Yep, six sixty two. Hopium and copium. Let's see. As you talk, you look around Lord Hampton's small office. Pick a number and add your observation. Don't even bother. Oh, that's a critical looking. That's incredible. Eyes to the left. Eyes to the right. We see it all. So 217. 217. What did we see? What did you see with your special eyes? Light reflected from a medicine cabinet catches your eye. As the glare fades, you can clearly see the bottles inside. One one reads, Hastings Distillate of Opium. Consider an immediate confrontation with Lord Hampton, then remember Holmes's instructions to act tactfully. Certainly appear is a subject requiring the greatest of tact. Check clue W and turn to 165. Uh, well, clue W now says, uh, because it refers to clue H, uh, Hampton has H, opium. So yeah, Hampton has hopium is the clue for this. <laughs> what would be wopium? Whoop. That's like what I say when I, uh, I'm i going to trip and then I like catch myself. I guess that's what uh, it's It's what I say uh, a number of times before I say Gangnam Style. Yeah, a couple more times than that, but you're whoop. on the true, on whoop. the right beat. No, one less, you see. Whoop, whoop. That, oh, the final it. one's a Gangnam Style. Oh no! I thought I'd... I always miss it. Everyone always they makes always, fun of me at the dance. They always change it on you. They change it on me. I th that sigh, he's a trickster. Yeah, I I swear, every time I hear the song, there's a different amount of whoops, and I know it's just for me specifically. Mm -hmm. Imagine, imagine a famous <laughs> artist pranking you like that. That's so good. <laughs> now I need famous artist friends just so that I can get that to happen, possibly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh... 165? Is that what it was? 165. You thank Lord Hampton for his time, stalling as you think of a, what loose end to pursue next. What timely task remains to be done, you ask yourself. Turn to 212. You pause to consider your next step. Whom shall I talk to next? If you checked off decision 4, turn to 576, otherwise 668. So we did check off decision 4. That was the decision to follow Stew in the first All place. Right. 578... When Martin pulls his cab up outside Riverside Station... Um... It what? It's not that. It's 576. 576. When Martin... <laughs> you wonder whether you can learn anything from Martin pulling his cab upside uh, the... Uh, mm. No. You wonder whether you can learn anything from Roscoe and his friends. If you seek out Roscoe, 432, otherwise 668. So Roscoe is the bookie who uh, Watson is working with. Yeah. I would definitely like to talk to him. Yes. I would like to bet on the horse. Exactly. <laughs> I would like to I'd bet like to on bet the race the... that just happened. <laughs> Irish Star is going to lose. <laughs> I bet... I've got a hot tip. I saw it happen. <laughs> I, I, I know. This is a risky bet, but I'm going all in. <laughs> what, do you, what do you mean, all in? This is... You don't have any... You just put keys on there. Uh, just wallet. <laughs> you win the bet and he has to give you twice as many keys. <laughs> <laughs> I don't care where you find them. I no, yep. There was a house key on there too. Yes. All right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm coming back for the deed. Oh my. Uh, okay. Hmm. What God? What page were we on? I'm, I'm all thirty-two. My brain is melting today. 
While much of the crowd left after the feature race, many people remained, chatting about the way the races were run. A sign identified as Roscoe's Table, which is the busiest by far. Pick a number, add your observation bone. <laughs> nope, 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 nope. Even with a plus one? <laughs> yeah, that brings it all the way up to a four. <laughs> 592. Carried away by the excitement of the crowd, you pay little attention to the individual, individuals gossiping and learn nothing. Ah, uh, makes sense. 668. Johnny Curbstomp is definitely a people watcher. Mm-hmm. Uh, checking I, your watch. What? I really want to see our first athletics check. I know! We're so far in, we haven't punched a single thing. I stand by the fact that it probably is a stat that, that shows up at the end. Yes. Like, that's that's when they're they like, he's chasing it! Catch him! You know, I think that that's typically going to be the thing. It would be hilarious if we were capable of completely solving the crime, but at the very end, we didn't have athletics and we were incapable of actually apprehending the murderer. Murderer! Uh, the murderer of the dreams of Iris Star winning this race, I mean, in this instance. Yeah. Uh, oh, God, wait, we're really on 668? Yeah. Uh-oh. Uh Checking your watch, you see that it's almost time to meet Holmes's irregular. You must leave the track now. Turn to 154. So do we not get any information? Uh, we got no special information from Roscoe. We also didn't have a conversation with Bowser and Fitz. Uh, we did have a conversation with Colonel Stewart and with Colonel Stewart's men. We had a conversation with Lord Hampton as well. Uh, it does look like, effectively, uh, seeing Roscoe was going to be the last thing we could do before we had to leave. Uh-oh. You walk to a pub near the track, where Holmes instructed the irregular to meet you. While you wait, you order supper. As you eat, you see Iris Star's jockey enter boisterously and order a round of drinks for a group of men who entered with him. If you talk to the jockey, 437. If nope, 439. Now, if the other option said, you know, if you watch the jockey yeah. instead, I would absolutely go with that. Again, we know that Johnny Curbstomp is a people watcher. Yeah. Um, but... I otherwise I don't want to just you know put my head down and eat my supper while ignoring clues. Yeah, for what it's worth, I don't think we ever we never went back to two twelve. So, which is one where where I was mentioning like there's no downside so far that we've noticed. For what it's worth, we didn't go back to that page. So, I don't know. Maybe we are missing things by maybe we do have to be picking and choosing, which is an interesting thing. If so, but who knows? Uh. So, you approach Iris Star's jockey and introduce yourself. Uh, sorry, where is the... Uh, which which is Four, this one? I... 437. 437. I'm glad it wasn't me. Thank you kindly. <laughs> this time. <laughs> I know where Colonel we Stewart. are. It's all good. In the bar. Colonel Stewart hired me to look for a race. Look into a race, sorry, for him. You explain. Would you uh care to talk about it? Pick a number, add your communication bonus... And that is a plus one, yes? That is a plus one. Oh my god, thank god. That is an eight. That's an eight on the dot then. This is too stressful. 503? Well, if the colonel hired you, I suppose I can talk to you for a moment. The jockey says. No, I don't know what there really is to talk about. The horse ran bad and got its tail whipped. I can just take the trainer... I, I just take what the trainer gives me and ride it as best I can. If you checked off clue A, turn to 594, have we? We did indeed. That is the clue that Jockey fed Irish Star. Mm, 594. 
I noticed that you fed the horse something right before the race. You say? Why was that? I never knew jockeys did anything like that. Pick a number and add your communication bonus. That's an 11. That's an 11. Mm. That's an 11. Please, please. It haven't. Yeah, that was me feeding him poison. That <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>, got me. <laughs> he just yeah. slaps his wrists together. Oh, cheese. <laughs> All right, 138. Uh, it might look a little odd to you, the jockey says. But it's a habit of mine, you see. I ride many and many a different horse each day, you see. Some of them are very unfriendly. A morsel makes them all the more willing to have me abroad. Sometimes with a horse like Irish Star was today, I think a bite really wakes him up a bit. The horse was dead on his hooves when I warmed him up. Didn't do no good, though, as you saw. He turns away and waves for the bartend to serve more drinks, ignoring you. Turn to 439. I mean, assuming he's telling the truth... Then the horse was already uh, dopey before that. Yeah, which I feels like it makes sense anyways. Uh, noteworthy that 439 is indeed the place that uh, we would go if we did not talk to the jockey. So nothing, mm -hmm. nothing missed here. As you finish your supper in the pub, young Stanley peeks in looking for you. It takes a word from you before the proprietor allows him to enter. Stanley hurries to your table. If you check decision one, two, or three, go to different pages. Which one did we check? We checked one. This was a decision of who we send the irregular Standy, uh, Standy, Stanley rather, to uh, look over. We sent him to look over Roscoe. All right, 378. Well, good, because we didn't get to talk to him. Young Stanley's smiling as he sits down at your table and grabs a piece of bread. Well, Gov, I wish Mr. Holmes gave me as easy jobs as you've done today. Roscoe had one big tour around the other blokes of his like and gave him all money, and then he sat down at his stable and paid out all the sundry. I found me a nice place right next to it to hide and hear every word he said the entire time I did. Did he make a big payoff to anyone? You ask. Ah, not a one. Whoever wagered may one, wagered small. Only big money he give away didn't seem like it was no wager at all. Bloke named Oliver, groomed to the... Colonel Stewart come by and Roscoe gave him the lot to the ready. Couldn't tell how much Oliver just stuffed in his pocket, but was a nice touch. No word of a bit either. Thanks, Cav. He adds when you slip him a pint. Cheerio. Check clues I and C. I see. Then turn to 129. Okay, huh. so, so one of these is going to be about Maywand and one of these is going to be about Oliver. Yeah. So Oliver was given money, but it the implication it was it was not from a bet. Mm-hmm. Hmm. All right. All right. One twenty-nine. Mm-hmm. Okay. I know where we are. Slowly you finish your dinner contemplating what you've learned. If you checked clue H, turn to five fifty-one. We have H for horse. Mm-hmm. Indeed. <laughs> I like I like to think that it's H for horse and it's just like <laughs> I have checked, and yep, that is indeed a horse. <laughs> That's got that right there. Irish Star is a horse. Irish... Interesting. Could this be the horse alluded to in the mystery? <laughs> oh, no. If only I had something to punch. That I'd be good at. <laughs> at a nearby table, you see a man who is slowly drinking himself into a stupor. A black bag rests on the table beside him, and from the teasing of people who speak to him you realize that he's a veterinarian 
If you ask him about the drug, turn to 137, otherwise 480. I mean, yeah. Absolutely. Why is he being teased for being a veterinarian? <laughs> oh, you want to help the animals, do you, Gov? Oh. Give a load of this guy. He wants to help people. Not even just people, but animals. What? Oh, look at you. This guy over here values something other than human life. Oh, what a bozo. Hey, hey, everyone, get a load of Dr. Doolittle over here. <laughs> oh, okay, now that one's good. <laughs> <laughs> that one's worth saying. <laughs> All right, 137. Excuse me, doctor. You begin. But a friend gave me a vial of horse medicine. I thought I'd get some expert opinion on it before I use it. <laughs> the implication does seem like it's for you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a friend gave me a vial of horse medicine, and I thought... Mm, it's yeah. almost tranquilizer, actually. <laughs> you hand him the bottle and wait as he stares owlishly at it. Finally, he begins to say something. I didn't know there was any of this left in the country, he mutters. Seeing as there was never that much of it, Dr. Hastings was a good horse doctor who liked to experiment. He mixed this up to calm wild horses, but died before he could decide how well it worked. Only a few friends of his ever used it, and no one ever found the formula. I'm very surprised to see it at a track, I tell you. It's something you can use back home at, like, a farm, maybe. Pick a number and add your intuition, eh? That's a critical intuition. Wow. What do we intuit on page 306? Only a few men tested it, you say? You ask, and the vet nods. Do you remember who they were? I don't remember all the names. The drunken veterinarian explains. I believe most of them were Scots or Irish. Dr. Hastings was a Scot himself and tended to people from his... Own part of his country. The only man who runs horses down there was Lord Hampton. You bid the man a good evening, check off clue X, and turn to 480. I mean, if this was supposed to help us connect the dot to be Lord Hampton to have the the hopium, we kind of knew that. Yeah, exactly. We saw it literally <clears throat> behind him. This might have just been another opportunity for us to find a different way to prove that he has access yeah. Without saying, I saw you holding it. <laughs> yeah. Have, ooh. Having gathered all of the evidence you seem likely to get, you return home to await the arrival of Mr. Holmes and Dr. Watson. You turn your mind to useful reading of the sort that Holmes recommends, hoping to avoid constantly rehashing the case, but over night after night, you still find this case a distraction. Have I uncovered the pertinent information? Have I interpreted it logically, you wonder? It's a relief to receive a note from Mr. Holmes informing you of his return and asking you to come around to Baker Street and give him your solution. You waste no time going to see him. Watson and Colonel Stewart are with the detective when you arrive, the latter willing to explain some of the unusual elements of the case. If you simply want to name the culprit, turn to 312. If you want to review the evidence first and present a more detailed portrait of the crime to Holmes, turn to 382. Of course, um, we have to go to 382. It only <laughs> seems appropriate. Yeah. I do like the idea of just blurting it out, though. Mayweather. May, may <laughs> <laughs> it's just a new dude. Just a completely new guy. Yeah, and he's trying to say the name of the other horse. 
Well, I talked to a veterinarian and he told me that only horses and trainers from Ireland and Scotland have access to this drug. May wins the horse. May win the horse if only horses can do this drug. That stands to reason that a horse had the drug. So the only other horse that I heard of today was Maywind. It's him. I hope you have horse cuffs. <laughs> they're very special. You have to get them custom made. Yeah, they're just, they're just like a hand, they're like handcuffs, but there's a really much longer chain between, <laughs> between them. Okay. Oh, before requesting your solution, Holmes listens to Colonel Stewart, who has some other information to offer. Yes, Mr. Holmes, it's more clear than ever that Irish Star was drugged. Now that there's been time for it to wear off, the horse is back to its old energetic self. If you checked deduction 9, turn to 600, did we? We did not. Turn to 193. Wait, 90, 196? I believe 196 is. And besides my horse's improvement, Mr. Holmes, the vet found evidence of the drug when he checked Iris Star the next day. Colonel Stewart adds. He was given an experimental drug called Hastings Distillative Opium. Uh, do you know of it, Mr. Holmes? The detective nods. Of course I do. There was a paper written on it about three or four years ago. That portion would certainly keep a horse from running well, at least if it were given to him a few hours before the race. It would take a considerable period of time for it to act. Turn to 335. Now, young man. Holmes says, turning to you. Suppose you tell us just how this deed came to happen, and of course, who is responsible? You first detail the evidence you found and then summarize what happened in the course of your investigation. You try not to talk too much, fearing the embarrassment of presenting Holmes a faulty solution. If you have clue G checked off, turn to 522. We do not. Oh no. 443. A fine summation of evidence. Holmes says quietly. But get to the crux of the matter. Whom do you accuse of drugging Irish Star? If you accuse the jockey, 360, Henry Raines, the trainer, 514, Bowser and Fitzhugh, 591, or John Oliver, 140. Oof. Okay, so uh, the out of these, yes, the closest we have is Oliver, right? Oh, for sure. Out of these, the stuff, only stuff we have info for that would, like, the other ones we'd be guessing in the dark. The only thing, because there was... We found the drug in the stables. We did. Mm -hmm. Which so, is where Oliver you know, portends to work. Yeah. And theoretically, that would have been early enough. Like, they're implying it needs the drug would have needed to be administered early enough. That's where it would have been, you know. that That's where it would have been mm -hmm. given to have a long enough time to have an effect. Whether or not there's anything with Henry Reigns or Bowser and Fitzhugh, we just didn't roll to know <laughs> so unfortunately i guess let's give it a try all of a 140 my fear is that we needed to like roll well to even get another i mean hey colonel stewart's groom john oliver drugged the irish star you say with confidence a feeling that increases when you see holmes nod in agreement then holmes says and what evidence do you have you must explain your findings. The relevant proof includes clues F, H, and I, and deduction 10. 
we do not have deduction 10, we do have H and I, we do not have F. So if you've checked clues H and I, turn to 500. All right. To be clear, I want to paint the picture of what we have as options. If you checked That's clue true. F only, 332, 10 but not H or I, turn to 470, H but not I, 571, I but not H, 135, H and I, 500. So there's like a lot of a lot of different options at this point for what you mm -hmm. could and could have. So 500. So what we are saying uh, yes. as well here with H and I is that we know that the opium bottle was found in the stable and we know that that was Hastings' distillate of opium. We also know that Oliver collected big from Roscoe, but we also know uh, in that same uh, vein of Oliver's collection that he didn't actually place a bet. Yes. You hastily tell your audience that Oliver had possession of the drug and that he received a large payment from Roscoe, who had no apparent reason to give him money. Watson cries, Bravo! In delight, it's your success. Although you receive as much satisfaction from Mr. Holmes' curt nod of approval. Very nice. The detective says, covering the most important points. You are beginning to show signs of common sense. <laughs> Turn to 460. Oh no, is it lethal? <laughs> I did feel I was having a cough come on. Yeah. Of course. Holmes adds, While knowing who drugged the horse is important, it is critical to prove who paid him to do the deed. Oliver will likely have some little chance to repeat his crime, but his master might strike again through some other agent. Once more, you run through the evidence as you try and summarize the conclusions that will lead you to this accusation. As you run on, Holmes interrupts. But tell us, he urges, who bribed John Oliver to drug Irish Star? Uh, Colonel Stewart, Lord Hampton, Bowser and Fitzhugh, or Roscoe? So the two that seem logical seem to be Lord Hampton, or like you could make a case for Roscoe, I guess, because he did mm -hmm. literally give him the money. But was mm -hmm. he just a conduit? I believe he would just be a conduit because we have so much more knowledge about Hampton and Hampton's ability to have gained the drugs specifically that was yes. used to slow down Irish Star. Yes, we, we found the link of the drug. There's definite motive. Uh, do we have a clue that marks down that potential motive? Uh, for Hampton, uh, yes, that would be clue U. Uh, and that was Did that he promised to give 500 before the race and 250 after. Sure. All right. Uh, so do you want to accuse Hampton, 371? Absolutely. Uh, Lord Hampton, the rival owner, arranged the drugging. You assert? Holmes smiles. And how did you decide that? He asks. You must have evidence to bring so serious a charge against the peer of the realm. The relevant evidence includes clues D, U, W, and X. There's one, two, three, four, five, six different permutations that it allows here. So what do we I have? have great these? news. We have all of these? We have D, which is that uh, Irish Star was racing above competition, but below the great races. We also have U, which is the 500 before, 250 after, the payment that Lord Hampton offered Colonel Stewart for Irish Star. We also have V, uh, sorry, W rather, uh, which is that Hampton had the uh, opium in a cabinet and we also have X, which is that Hampton got that opium uh, from the original source. Interesting. So the one that applies is probably that we have clues U and X, 
which I assume is so specific because we can't have X without having W. Yeah. Cause like, and theoretically, so, we can't have U without D. Yeah, exactly. We can fail any of these, which is if you've checked no clues, or obviously not that one, if you've checked U but not, nope, anything that says that we haven't checked one of these clues, which is the first five entries, we immediately fail. So we need to go to 209. We've clicked uh, U and X, 209. All right. I feel like we failed so many roles, so I'm glad it seems that we hopefully <laughs> did, did not fail the ones that mattered. Mm-hmm. I This has given me a lot more faith in the interaction between our deductive uh, systems as well as what the book is going to offer us. Lord Hampton is guilty. You say firmly. He wanted to buy our star and the defeat would lower its price due to Colonel Stewart's desperate financial position. And only Lord Hampton, of all the suspects, had access to the drug. Very good. Holmes replies while Watson slaps you on the back in delight. But, Holmes adds, His lordship himself will be here in a few minutes. How shall we command justice from the villain? Oh, we've been waiting for this question. Punch, punch. <laughs> 185. Did, did that sound on mic? Did that work? <laughs> uh, I don't know. <laughs> 185. The plan's made. You're all seated and ready when Mrs. Hudson introduces Lords Ham Lords Hampton. The peer looks as dapper and distinguished as ever. Your invitation, Mr. Holmes, indicated that you would help to settle the matter of my purchase of Irish Star. He asks eagerly. Then, noting the intensity of Holmes's look and the hatred in Colonel Stewart's eyes, he stops, and his smile fades. What is this? He sputters. Why are you looking at me like that? I demand that someone explain this inquisition. I wonder, Holmes asks, answers gently, why a man of your reputation would see his name dragged in the mud just to buy a horse more cheaply. You are wealthy, your lordship. You could have paid more than the horse was worth and never noticed the loss. What will people say, I wonder? Will they ever let you on a track again? It's difficult to believe, but I have solid evidence now. Lord Hampton does not deny the charge, nor try to defend himself. Instead, turning so pale that you see Watson stir with professional concern. Then he bows his head in shame. I do not deserve mercy, he sighs, for it was greed that sealed my fate. I hated to see that great horse running so far below itself, when under my silks he would have achieved fame. It is idle to say that I would never repeat my crime. The stewards will warn me off for life now. The man looks crushed. Holmes's face softens a little. Perhaps it is not too late, he answers. I am not Scotland Yard. I suggest that you give orders to your solicitor that Colonel Stewart's stable be financed as it should. For yourself, I know that you have been offered a foreign appointment that would occupy you for the next two years. Purge your crimes by service to the Queen and with restitution to your victim. Thus, when Irish Star becomes a champion, you will have the satisfaction of knowing that you assisted him in his climb to excellence. After a moment, the peer accepts Holmes's terms. You leaves with Colonel Stewart to arrange their financial agreement, and after a little more talk, you leave Holmes and Watson to walk back to your own quarters. One question fills your mind. What will your next case be? Turn to 237. 
my headcanon is we just wasted the fool. We just absolutely executed him. This is a slap on the wrist. You're so rich that actually we should let you go with a warning. Mm, why don't you go be rich about it, you little chump? And then slaps him on the Wait. butt as he walks out the door. Yeah. Like, whoa, 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 what is this? I am a detective. I only want to detect crimes, not to solve them or bring anyone to justice. I just detect and then move on. I just love puzzles. <laughs> That's it. And frankly, if I lock you up, you're less likely to commit another one. <laughs> and that would be worth solving. Yes, this one was a fun puzzle. It'd be fun to solve it again. Meet up at noon next week <laughs> <laughs> for another crime. <laughs> uh... Do you the, have this, any uh, this... crime friends? Ooh, we know he has some at the very least. We haven't even read. You know what? That's that's the thing as well, right? We're gonna be like Lord Hampton. You may repay your service with service to the Queen. Now, John Oliver, to the stocks. We're hanging you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um. Although, this final uh, line, one question fills your mind, what will your next case be, does uh, tell us, as much as my clues and deduction sheet did, that there's another case here. This is case number one. That makes a lot of sense. <laughs> yeah. Because we were scrolling past a lot of names that I knew had not occurred in the story yet. <laughs> yes, and no clubs uh, of the Diogenes variety. But of course. Let's turn to 237 and see how we get to such a point. Once you have a day or two to look back at it with some perspective, you carefully try to assess the lessons that you've learned from investigating the Irish Star Affair. You firmly resolve that when you get another chance to investigate, you'll avoid the mistakes you made in analyzing clues and dealing with people. One pleasant afternoon, you visit your cousin, Dr. Watson. He's alone in his lodging and explains that Holmes has gone on to his brother's club for the afternoon. You have a pleasant chat, reviving both your memories of a variety of family matters. A talk interrupted by a knock at the door at a word from Watson. Mrs. Hudson enters and hands Watson a note. He reads it, and then his face puckers up thoughtfully. Now, how the deuces did he know this? He mutters. What did Mr. Holmes know? You ask, aware that only one man can perplex Watson in that way. How did he know that you'd be here? He answers, still a little distracted. He asked me to bring you to the Diogenes Club as soon as possible. Watson stops and stares vacantly into space. And how did you know the message was from Holmes? He demands, but you're already helping him into his coat and handing him his hat. If Holmes wants you in a hurry. Fortunately, Watson quickly hails a cab. Your cousin's chatter is background music that only adds to your excitement. A case and Holmes apparently wants your help. To your even greater surprise, Inspector Lestrade of Scotland Yard is standing on the street outside the Diogenes Club when the cabbie drops you off. The policeman rebuffs Watson's cheery greeting with a snarl. I might have known you'd be popping round, Watson. He snaps. You always do, anytime Mr. Holmes comes across anything the least bit mysterious. What's happened, Lestrade? Watson demands. We know nothing, except that Mr. Holmes is ordered us here as quickly as possible. Happened? The detective cries, and years of frustration add bitterness to his voice. Cold-blooded murder, like it is not, but they... 
He sighs, tilting his shoulder towards the club. Don't wish the scandal of a police investigation. Colonel Philip Sidney Sylvester lies dead in there, struck down suddenly in the bloom of his life. It may have been sudden illness, but they seem to think it was poison. What with the man's reputation, it might well be. But they refuse to let the police look into it, for they will not have the precious silence of their club disturbed by the bustle of a police investigation and rot them! They have the influence to keep me from my job. Why did Holmes send for us? Watson asks, breaking into the tirade. Holmes sent for you because he refuses to investigate the matter himself! Sorry, I scrolled way too far. Uh, Lestrade shouts, quaking with frustration. It's something to do and some promise he made at the time when they elected him to membership. Holmes himself was in the room and is a witness to the death rather than making it, or making it rather improper as a choice for an investigator. So he sent for your cousin instead. I, I would love to be hidden in the walls and watch the great Mr. Sherlock Holmes stand silent while another detective questions and searches. I've had to do the same for him often enough myself. Well, good day to you and good luck to you gentlemen. You shall need it with that crowd. When you ring, you are immediately taken to the office of the club's chairman. Sir Andrew St. James, Sir Sherlock Holmes, sits... Chairman Sir Andrew St. James. Sherlock Holmes sits in a corner, obviously unhappy at events, though he nods pleasantly enough to you and Watson. Thank you for coming so quickly. Sir Andrew begins. He's a well-dressed man in his fifties, elegant, and speaks with a slight lisp. We have experienced a great tragedy here today. There is talk of foul play. I feel the need to send for an investigator. Both the rules of our club and the nature of a good portion of our membership make it absolutely essential that the matter be considered with the utmost discretion and tact, at least until foul play can be established. You see, we customarily do not speak once we enter the club. It is a refuge of silence. Restraining your glee, you solemnly nod. At times, Watson has hinted that the Diogenes Club is a cover for something of the more secret branches of government. This could be vitally important to the Crown. The facts are these, Sir Andrew continues. Colonel Sylvester, one of our good members, died very suddenly this afternoon. As he was in good health, there is some reason to suspect foul play. I have kept everyone here who might know anything. So, that you may question those gentlemen whom you wish to interview. The body is still in the lounge where he collapsed, if you should wish to look at it, although the ambulance attendants stand ready to remove it. I'll do my best. You quickly reply. Can you tell me exactly how he died? I shall try. Oh, <laughs> I... <laughs> There's too many voices in it. Anyway. There's so many. I shall try without employing hearsay. Holmes says, interrupting St. James's reply. Something upset the man, for he drained almost a full glass of brandy at a swig, the sort of brandy he would normally sip and savor. Almost immediately, he fell down dead. I regret that I cannot give the problem my own attention. He adds, you nod. Inspector Lestrade told us the club rules prevented you from investigating. You add. Holmes smiles his rare smile. I wasn't fully truthful with Lestrade. He admits. 
Tonight I must see a man who knows something about missing jewels. If Lestrade knew his identity, he would feel bound to interfere and would delay the recovery of the missing property. Thus, I must leave soon, and there is much that must be done here tonight. That is why I sent for you. Do you wish to ask me any questions? I was, of course, in the room as the man died. <laughs> <laughs> no, that doesn't seem relevant. No, I don't, that seems completely inconsequential to the case, Mr. Sherlock Holmes. Um, all right. Yeah, let's hear him out. 433. Let's hear, hear out this Sherlock Holmes guy on this murder mystery case. Mm-hmm. You hesitate to ask the first question, marveling at the enormity of your questioning Sherlock Holmes in a murder investigation. If you ask what he saw when Sylvester died, turned to 619, or <laughs> turned to 429. Uh, yeah, let's ask about the murder. Yeah, let's do that. 619. Mr. Holmes. You begin, trying to be very formal. You were in the lounge when Colonel Sylvester died. What did you see at the time, and did anyone approach him? Holmes smiles a little. You are relying upon talents, my friend, but I'm afraid they will do you no good. When here at the club, due to the promises I made, I make it a point to see and notice nothing. It is an interesting intellectual exercise to go rigidly against one's ingrained natures and habits. Turn to 429. Okay, well now now Sherlock's being a bit of a jerk. It's like, did you want to question me? Uh, I saw nothing <laughs> because I didn't yeah. want to. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> Did you want to waste your time with me? Yeah, I mean, we'll see. Maybe there's something yet, but dang. You wonder what Holmes thought of the late Sylvester, Colonel Sylvester. If he were willing to tell you, his opinion would be of great value. There are few better judges of human nature than Mr. Sherlock Holmes. Do you want to ask him his opinions? Turn to 444, otherwise 611. I make it a point not to have judges of... Human nature when in the club. Uh, okay, so, but we got to try, right? 444? Absolutely. Holmes shakes his head. No, I didn't know Sylvester well and did not wish to know him better. Still, <laughs> I do have some notes on him in the commonplace books at Baker Street, for I thought he might prove to be a client or a target one day. A mean, shifty man, despite his fine appearance. Turn to 611. You wonder whether any of the others in the lounge had a motive to kill Colonel Sylvester, or to have him poisoned by someone else. Do you want to ask Holmes about motives? Turn to 615. Absolutely. Or, yeah. Did any of the others in the lounge have a reason to do harm to Colonel Sylvester? You ask. Motive for murder, if murder it was. Holmes mutters. I have seen some people put up with much more and never lift a hand while others have been killed for next to nothing, an imagined slight, a dalliance, whatever. Every man in the room had a motive that lead that might lead him to kill. Of course, this is true of every club in London. Turn to 620. With some relief, you thank Holmes for his patience with your efforts. He too seems to relax. Turn to 133. Ooh, he relaxed as soon as we stopped investigating? That's it. I'm ready to Lock accuse Sherlock. Sherlock. Holmes. You're never going Holmes again, punk. Lock him Here's up. what happened. Sherlock walked into this building and then got a waft of apricot off of the sleeve of this Sylvester fellow. And immediately it brought him to thinking about the orchard that that apricot must have come from and starting to locate that within the realm of Greater London. And as soon as this started... 
Sherlock realized that he'd broken the rule that he had made in order to sign into the Diogenes Club in the first place, and that is that he would not investigate. In order to stop investigating, Holmes killed Sylvester to yep. remove the evidence <laughs> from the scene. <laughs> yeah, in broad daylight in front of all everyone. <laughs> and, yep. And everyone is you like... stand powers? Yeah, and everyone in, in the club is just like, I mean, we all signed the I mean, we all signed the paper like <laughs> we can't I, when i'm in here i don't see the murder i i, I promised i pinky promised <laughs> look if i tell them that holmes did it then i get kicked out of the club yeah, i don't, don't want to be kicked out of the club it's so cool we I do don't get potluck on tuesdays yeah. yeah quietly we all bring it in and everyone just looks at each other in silence <laughs> and then Someone makes too loud of a noise with the, the, the ladle, the soup ladle, and they get kicked out. And it's the drama mm -hmm. for the evening. It's just the thought of a very quiet bouncer. Oh, I love it. All right. And the person trying to struggle against them, but also being very quiet <laughs> at the same time. Just, oh my god, that's a good, that's a scene. That's a good scene. Everyone's struggling to make no noise. It's so good. All right. All right. Where are we at now? 133. Yes. I must go now that you've finished with me. Holmes says, consulting its watch. Take proper care tonight. Perhaps good fortune will result. One never knows. Come to Baker Street tomorrow morning and tell me what you found. As you nod, the detective hurries away. Sir Andrew St. James takes you in his charge. We will give you every assistance that we can. He begins... I hope you can bring this dreadful matter to a swift and quiet conclusion. If you want to see the actual body, you'd better do so now. Those men are waiting to take it away already. Otherwise, I shall bring in those who might know something useful. Who are the sus uh, Who are the witnesses, sorry? You ask. There are ten. He answers. I regret keeping so many waiting, but the colonel's death was so sudden, and it seems very odd. I realize that due to my position, you may wish to ask me a few questions. In addition to me, there were six members of the club in the lounge where the colonel died. You might have already talked to Mr. Sherlock Holmes already, but his brother Mycroft was there also. Sir Alexander Bassett Hind, the noted historian, the Honourable Charles Martin, MP, of course, Lord Trent, the merchant and industrialist, the Admiral William Nelson was also in the room, a solicitor, Mr. Henry Hamilton delivered a note to Colonel Sylvester this afternoon, while Colonel Ian Stewart, Colonel Sylvester's cousin and heir, came to see him. I understand that Colonel Sylvester refused to talk with his cousin. In addition, I have asked Tom Smithton, who was serving the members of the small lounge, remain in case you want to ask him anything. If you see the body of the murder victim, in the mystery case, go to 253, or you can just start interviewing now. I'm certain we'll have time to interview after we look at the body. That'll wait. 253. With a word from St. James, the steward leads you to a small lounge, shelves full of leather-bound books lining the walls. Around the room, comfortable chairs flank solid tables. In the corners and near the table, tables... What? Near the door, tables stand covered with the latest newspapers and magazines. However, the colonel's body distracts you from further examination of the room. <laughs> the dead body? Yeah, I, I, I might look. I might be like, oh, that's distracting. 
Uh, Colonel Sylvester was a large, heavy-set man. He is stretched on his back on the carpet, arms outflung, his head turned to one side so they can see his distorted face, made him more ghastly by the bulging eyes and the mouth frozen to a ghastly grin. You hear Watson draw his breath in shock, and a glass lies by his hand on the carpet, while the other hand clutches an envelope. Check decision 20. Pick a number. Add your intuition for an 11, baby. We only needed a 7, but that is an 11. 492. Cousin John? You say slowly to Watson. Would you look at him and see how you think he died? The doctor nods grimly, then kneels and quickly examines the corpse. Then he rises and wipes his hands on a handkerchief before saying, You know, he finally says, I would have thought on examining him that the poor man suffered a fatal stroke. He's the sort of man prone to strokes, you understand, and he displays all the visible signs. Turn to 445. So that's what it is. The end. You look closely at the... Wait, 445? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You look closely at the glass and note that there's a little brandy in the bottom. At your request, Watson hands you a clean jar carried in his medical bag, and you empty the contents of the brandy glass into it. Pick a number and add your observation for a 10. 343. Only needed a 7. Got a 10. 343. As you raise the glass, you notice the colonel's handkerchief clutched in his right hand. It's soaked in some kind of liquid. Curious, you sniff it, trying to identify it. You pass out. It's chloroform. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Pick a number and add scholarship bonus. If we roll low on the scholarship bonus, you wake up later. No idea what was on the handkerchief. <laughs> I got an eight. This is a minus two, so we're still <gasps> at it. We're still it good, is a right? Minus two. Okay, yep. that gives us a six, which is the bare minimum that we needed. Uh, please tell me this is gonna pay off, and that we're not using up all of our luck. You sniff the handkerchief and realize it's been soaked in some kind of alcohol, perhaps the colonel's brandy. Quickly, you ask Watson for another glass jar and store the handkerchief in it. Check off clue K, and turn to two of seven. Do you want to look at the note that uh, Colonel Sylvester received this evening? Sir Andrew asks, pointing to the victim's left hand. It can hardly matter, I should think. He adds. After all, Colonel Sylvester died before he could read it. Anything might matter, sir. Watson answers, and pries the note loose from the stiff fingers. That's odd. He mutters as he passes it to you. You read the address before you react to this comment. The number 13 is written on the corner of the envelope, while the address reads... Colonel A.J. Sylvester at the Diogenes Club, Fleet Street, London. What's art, Doctor? You ask. Why, this address. Watson answers. We're on Paul Mall, not Fleet Street. Well, it hardly matters. Sir Andrew interrupts. The note was delivered by hand. Now, if you want to talk to my bartender or some other staff, I should appreciate it if you were to do it now. Some of the members are growing impatient at the lack of server. Going to the bar, 465, otherwise 587. So we gotta go to the bar. I want to know about this brandy. I want to know about the alcohol on this uh, handkerchief. And we just hold it up to the bartender's nose. He passes out and we're like, <laughs> well, I, great, now he's not going to tell me about it. <laughs> And he's dead, too. <laughs> Just go around. Do you know Everyone's what this smells like? Dead. Do you know what this smells like? Everyone. <laughs> Everyone's so rude in this club. Just, is it because I'm using words in your quiet club? All right. 
You agree to Sir Andrew's suggestion and follow him to the bar, the note half forgotten in your hand. Sir Andrew tells the bartender to ask, answer anything you ask. Ooh, anything? What's your celebrity crush? You ask how the service is organized. I am especially curious. You add. How you can promptly deliver the proper drinks to the members when there's a ban on speaking in the club. Aye, sir. It's Scotland Johansson as well, and uh, <laughs> they took some organizing it did. He answers. We have had considerable troubles the first uh, year or two when the club was open. Now, it's easy enough. When a man comes in, he leaves a note of what he's drinking that day at the door. Then, when he wants something, he just pushes a buzzer under the arm of his chair and the waiter brings it straight to him. We do so very quickly too, sir, for these gents are hardly the most patient types. You wouldn't keep a wide variety of drinks, I suppose? Did he perhaps order a poison today? You keep a wide variety of drinks, I suppose, you ask. Well, we do and we don't. He answers um, ambiguously. I only buy a few things. Most of the members bring their own favorites, and I keep them ready. The men who belong at the club like this one are usually a little different in what they like to drink, you also understand, sir. You nod. If you ask what Colonel Sylvester drank, turn to 482, otherwise 122, seems pertinent. 42. Especially. I understand the late Colonel Sylvester drank brandy? You say. Did he drink from your stock? Oh, no, sir, not him. The steward the steward laughs before growing embarrassed. <laughs> uh, he only drank St. Gabriel's, which is made in a French monastery, understand? Pick a number and add your scholarship, and you need to crit. Would you believe we didn't? Oh, we didn't scholars crit? Nah. One, that was a seven. Sorry, four seventy-two, rather. Seven brings us down to five. We needed a ten. So, four seventy-two. You've never heard of St. Gabriel's Brandy. Uh, pick a number and add your intuition bonus. Roll a seven. Roll a seven for us, because plus one, that'll get us over the line. I got... Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't get a seven. I got Damn a nine. I got a nine. No! What? 634? Oh, oh, wait. Raps is nine... What's the word? Lager? Is it lager? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's a lager. It's, it's, it's hopped heavily. Is it... It's a... It's a big... It's a big number? It's a big, big number? That's what they call them? All right. It's it's big. I don't know if it's as big as seven, though. I've never heard a number bigger than seven in my life. Mm -hmm. uh, 634. Uh, Mr. Smith? You ask the steward. Is there anything special about that brandy of the colonel's? The steward nods. Why, oh, it's a rare brand, and the monastery does not bottle much. Only one dealer here in London, Ambers, imports it. He specializes in rare drinks. Many of the members here deal with him to get what they crave. Check clue M and turn to 609. My hope is that that's what we would have gotten if we just knew it ourselves. Yeah, exactly. Uncertain what to do now, you look to Watson, who gives you an encouraging wink. Watson, you hitting on us? Mm. Wait, wait, cousin. <laughs> if you ask the bartender for a sampler of Colonel Sylvester's brandy... 285, otherwise 122. We should ask for a sample of the brandy just in case we need to compare the samples to see if there was yeah. a poison inserted in one. Yes. Although that seems like a foregone conclusion. It's probably worth proving anyhow. It's true. I say. You ask suddenly. May I have a sample of the brandy of the colonels? It might help me prove what happened to him. The bartender hesitates a moment, then nods. 
He pulls out a cut glass decanter and pours a finger of the liquid into another of Dr. Watson's jars. <laughs> it can't matter now. He laughs. The colonel certainly won't be drinking it anymore. Check clue N and turn to 122. I, rude. <laughs> Insensitive, for sure. <laughs> 122. Ooh! Actually, also a good point. This will give us the possibility of seeing whether or not the decanter itself was poisoned before anything else happened. Oh, if we die. Exactly. Chug, chug, chug. <laughs> chug, 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 blub, blub, blub. If we, if we never wake up, then it was poisoned. And then we book them. <laughs> you thank the bartender for his help and leave the bar. As you turn into the hall, Watson asks, Well, are you going to read that note or not? You realize you still have the envelope in your hand, so turn to 587. Didn't we read this? Did I go to the wrong page or something? No, we didn't read the note, did we? Oh, no, we read the address on the outside of the note. Yar. Yar. Got it. Where 587. am I? 587. But I went to 487. I was like, Irish star. <laughs> the horse is here. <laughs> The horse made it. I didn't know you were a member of the Diogenes Club. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> you weigh the envelope in your hand. If you read the note 276 or, I mean, yeah. <laughs> look, I like they're giving us alternative options, but at this point, yeah, we're going to look for the information. It, it, until we get a situation where it's a bad idea to do it. Mm -hmm. uh, Wondering if it'll prove an important clue, you read the unopened note Colonel Sylvester held in his hand, in his hand, ooh, at death. Checked decision 22. The note is written on cheap white paper, probably copied by a hired clerk. The number 13 is written in the upper left corner, and it reads... Oh boy, the, the whole new voice for this guy. You know what, we're going it's hard Colonel Stewart. this, man. This, this is not the same Stewart, is it? It says Lieutenant Colonel Stewart. Uh, sure. My dear Colonel, life for you is your wealth. Pain is yours from anyone attacking your riches. I shall disgrace you, though it has the cost of ruining me as well. My heart will love to power the world, the price that produces your complete and immediate permanent financial death. Lieutenant Colonel Henry Stewart of the Hotel Hamilton. You stop and consider the note. If it had not been sitting in a dead man's hand, would it have any significance, especially when the dead man never read it? Pick a number and add your scholarship bonus with a lot of different options. The number 13 is written in the upper left corner. Yeah. Why? His favorite number. That's his name. The murderer's name is 13. I got a, what, I got a six, which is a, not the worst possible option of the four, but the second worst possible option. That's a 247. Before we proceed, I would like to try and uh, pop my little Sherlock cap on as well. 13. They've drawn our attention to that twice. Once mm -hmm. on the envelope, 13 was noted in the corner. And once here in the upper left corner as well. So I'm trying to use 13 as a cipher to see if I can use that to decrypt anything from this. Because, like, is it every 13th character? write that down and then continue until we get a message or is it every 13th word if it's every 13th word the first word is from mm. uh, the second word would be cost so it's not that from cost um 
13th letter is probably harder, not not necessarily harder, difficult to pull out, but more would just take additional time. I, I'm so suspect of that 13. I Let's turn to 247 and see if it tells us anything about it. Yes. Uh, after considering for a few moments, you conclude from the odd phrasing that the note was either written by a foreigner or that it's in code. If you think it's in code, turn to 421. If you think it was written by a foreigner, 238, you think it's in code, 421. It's absolutely in a code. But why? You decide that some subtle message is hidden on the note and resolve to figure it out. You may reread the note on 276, check off decision 22. If you cannot break the code, 438. If you can, 519. So let me just write both those down. 276. Yeah, 276. All right, so they want us to do what I was already going to try with no additional information. Got it. Uh, let's start out here by noting down every 13th letter. This is going to be a slightly annoying task to do, so I'm just going to automate it in the background. Okay, life for you is... So, your? Are you starting from my dear colonel, or are you starting from life I started from my dear colonel because my dear colonel includes 13 letters as well. My four, uh, my dear is six and then colonel is another seven. So 13 total. So I got an L for that. And then I got a Y and two N's, then G H O. So Lynn ghost is the closest I can get to anything. Okay. I don't think mine is the, the oh. answer. Oh, have you got one now? No. Oh, hmm. Every 13th word gets us to from cost world, Colonel. Yep, I got that one. <laughs> I've also got your me, that's Stuart. <laughs> if we don't have a <laughs> <dear> Colonel. <laughs> 13 in the upper left corner. Maybe we're thinking about 13 as a, uh, a, a joint number when we need to be thinking about it as a sequence. One and three. Hmm. Is there a world where we tap out and say our character wouldn't have solved it? I think there is. I'm not getting anything. Yeah, it's related to the 13, obviously. Yes. That is about as close as I've got. <laughs> so it was 430... Was it 438 or... 438? Oh god, I hate seeing this. It makes me really want to go back and... The coded message has baffled you. You hope it has nothing, no relevance to Colonel Sylvester's death. Oh, boy. Uh, oh, God. Boy. How, do we, how do we feel about that? I don't like it. Let's pause and we'll see if we can figure something out. Let's do it. It's done. It solves 100%. Mm-hmm. I, Either 13 is irrelevant to the code, or it is a coded way of preventing uh, presenting the cipher, which I have failed to understand. Brute force application of will, however, has managed to get us to a degree where I checked every first word, which as it turns out, if you check every word, it's just the note again. And then I checked every <laughs> second word in case it was that, which it wasn't. But every third word gives us the translation of this note as such. My life is pain from your disgrace. Uh, it cost me uh, my love. The price 
your immediate death, Henry Hamilton. All right. I mean, it sounds more or less solved. Like, I I think we'll turn to it 519. Makes, it's a sentence that makes sense. That, All of my odd. other versions, like, I got yeah. Lynn Ghost, which is nothing. I yeah, got, got your me, that Stuart. Yeah, I got that one too. World Colonel. Yep, I got that one too. Those, I got all those, but I mean, let's go to five nineteen. Having broken the code, maybe it'll just say what the code is there. Oh God, I hope. Delighted at having figured out the code, you relish the key clue. Follow the instructions in the next paragraph, written in the same code, until they direct you where to turn. If you do not know the code, turn to four thirty-eight. So okay. So uh, this next paragraph in that code, uh, without the code, would say, to quite quickly read the uh, secret code, you must take your time. First, find keywords. Second, count every word. And third, skip alternating word that comes thereafter. From this, turn your notes around to see that 235 is a dummy paragraph, and you should instead turn to paragraph 316. But using that code here, we get to read code take... First word, every third word thereafter. Uh, turn to 235, paragraph, turn, paragraph. Turn to 235. Wait, what? It says turn to 235. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, do it, do it. You've broken the secret code. <laughs> Check clue Q. We did, we did it. We did it. Uh, should we do this next part? Or are you going to uh, turn into a little puddle on the ground? Mm, I may turn into a puddle, but let's do this next part as well. Where are we right now? Did We're we're, on, we're at the club still, yeah? We are currently at the club, yes. The Diogenes okay. Club. 440. Turn to 440. Oh, so we could have... Oh, you broke the secret. And then we... Gotcha. So that'd be like if we broke it late. I feel like breaking it early is going to be very helpful. Seems appropriate, yeah. May guide our investigation. Eagerly, you consider what the decoded message means and how best to use it. If you check decision 20, turn to 327. Otherwise, turn to 319. Is that the one we did? Uh, we did check decision 20. Decision 20 was see the body. Gotcha. All right. 327. You explain the code to Sir Andrew and Dr. Watson. They agree that it certainly casts the strongest suspicion on Henry Hamilton, especially as he is the man who delivered it to Colonel Sylvester. You agree that you should have him return to discuss the case, and then find a way to spring the trap and get a confession from him. But I think, Sir Andrew adds, that you would be wise to have Mycroft Holmes here when you talk to Hamilton. He may make the difference in getting the answers that you require. Also, if the man confesses, an extra witness will do no harm. You agree, and Sir Andrew sends a messenger for Mycroft Holmes. You begin to wonder whether the club's director had told you everything he knows. If you question Sir Andrew, turn to 419, otherwise 475. 419, we're going to see if he has any more information. Uh, before we question the others, I wonder if I might be able to get you to tell me a bit more. You say to Sir Andrew. I mean, you impress me as a man who pays close attention to what happens around you. Better not be doing that in the club. Sir Andrew hesitates for a moment, then nods in agreement. Yes, that is reasonable, provided that everything you ask bears on the investigation. If you ask about Colonel Sylvester, turn to 344. Otherwise, 
What sort of man was Colonel Sylvester? You ask? I've never heard of him. Ooh, that's hardly surprising. He answers, an odd smile on his face. With the colonel, anyone who knew of his career tried to forget it as quickly as possible. In the army, he gained his rank in India, assisted by his wealth. However, he found campaigning not to his tastes, and retired to apply himself to mercantile endeavors here in London. If you ask about Sylvester's military service, turn it to a 1, otherwise 434. What do you do in India? What do you do there? What do you do there? Was there any scandal attached to his service? You ask. Anything that could have led to today's tragedy? Hardly. Sir Andrew answers stiffly. Though it was rumored that he made some small mistake that led the commanders of our Indian forces to suggest the field command was not his forte. Also, it is nigh on 15 years since he left. Much too long for anyone to wait for revenge. The colonel has been in business since his retirement. Turn to 434. I see. You mutter. And was the colonel successful as a businessman? Quite successful. Sir Andrew says hurriedly. Though I must admit that some of us suggest that his methods are left a little to be desired. Nothing you could point to for certain, you understand, but... We could not have granted him membership in the club, but just a willingness to take every advantage. Nothing to stop his membership. You repeat. If you ask about the club's rules, turn to 101, otherwise 379. Sure. Exactly what are the rules of the club regarding behavior and application for membership? You ask. Sir Andrew relaxes. He is on firmer ground here. No talking is permitted anywhere in the members' area of the club, except for the area we call the outside of the room. Uh, Naturally, I occasionally give orders to the staff, and they are permitted to talk, of course, strictly in the line of duty for their work areas. We pay them well to see that they obey. As for membership rules, Sir Andrew continues, We are perhaps more liberal than some clubs. This is an expensive establishment, and it is not to every man's taste. On the other hand, as members know no need not associate with one another, we are tolerant of one another. Provided a man does nothing to disturb the club himself, our members accept him. Indeed, Mr. Sherlock Holmes was one of the more hotly disputed members permitted to join. Because of his good public position and the sometimes resultant noise, It was only his long-time good behavior as a guest and our great respect for his brother Mycroft that resulted in the election. Turn to 379. So all that you require of a prospective member, you say, are his willingness to abide by the club rules and the ability to pay the club's charges? Crudely put, Sir Andrew replies. But I must admit that is a fairly accurate representation. The rules for silence must be difficult for your staff to maintain. You suggest. Sir Andrew nods, then adds. But we pay much better than other clubs, and that can make up for a good deal of inconvenience. If you ask about the staff members who dealt with Colonel Sylvester that day, turn to 240, otherwise 119. Which staff members served the Colonel today? You ask. That is, in a way that might have allowed them to see anything. Only the waiter, Tom Smithson, he answers. He brought Colonel Sylvester the glass of brandy that he drank just before he collapsed. 
how long has he been in your employ? You ask? He served here about six months. Sir Andrew answers. Smithson is quiet and a lonely man. Just what we like because he's not inclined to gossip or disturb the members. Pick a number, add intuition for a perfect six which is actually perfectly wrong <laughs> never mind seven is what oh. we needed <laughs> yeah but no plus one you, did you that want five the, plus one yeah no 119 yeah you wonder if any problems arise in the club from personal enmity among the members with no chance to vent disagreements through an occasional argument, hostility could rise to the point where it could lead to almost any result. Could any of the members in the lounge with Colonel Sylvester have quite a particular reason to dislike him? If you ask about the other members in the lounge, turn to 366 or go to 499-366. There were six members of the club in the uh, lounge when Colonel died? You say? Did any of them have any particular connection or knowledge of him? Sir Andrew frowns for a moment. Mm, did they indeed? He grimaces. Colonel Sylvester was not a well-loved. He had strongly opposed admitting Sherlock Holmes to the club, claiming in notes that the membership committee, with the membership committee rather, that his membership could provide a cover for Mr. Holmes's detecting activities. Both Sherlock and Mycroft Holmes resented that. Admiral Nelson despised the colonel. Sir Andrew continues. Apparently, for causes related to the colonel's military career. Also, Sylvester has quite was an inveterate letter writer to the Times, and the Admiral was upset at the anti-naval letters the colonel wrote. He had exchanged sharp notes with Mr. Bassett Hind over the latter's history of some of his campaigns in India, and had suggested that Mr. Martin and his friends were the least desirable element of many of the despicable groups in the House of Commons. Uh, finally, he and Lord Trent were bitter business rivals, and had engaged in a series of disagreements in letters to the Times over the years says Sir Andrew, wondering if he said too much. If one of them wrote that the world was round, the other would simply insist it flat. In the lounge, they always took chairs beside the same end of the table, yet never spoke a word. Indeed, they were the pride of the club, in a manner of speaking. Oh? You reply, startled. Indeed, yes, a great deal of pride. Sir Andrew smiles for the first time since you began to question him. What better proof of the integrity of our rules than to have two bitter enemies sit side by side for years, and yet never exchange a word, or take slightest notice of one another? Turn to 499. Thank you, Sir Andrew. You say with a deep respect. You've been most helpful. And turn to 475. You want to save this? Let's do that. All right. We'll talk to Minecraft at the beginning of tomorrow. Minecraft? And we are back. It is a brand new day, and ah. with it, a brand new weather pattern. A cold front. Oh, it's as much of a cold front as a heat wave has left my city. And now, unsweaty, I can continue <laughs> the Sherlock Adventures with Rito. Unsweaty, arms not sketty. Unbowed, yes. unbroken, unsweaty. <laughs> unsweaty. It feels like a... I don't know. It feels like a like a club. I don't know. 
Yeah, that's that's uh, that's what I call like casual gamers. But you know, casual yeah. is kind of you know thrown around and bandied as a pejorative more often than not. This is just saying that all the hardcore gamers they're sweaty. We're the non-sweaty gamers. I, We're the unsweaty uh, gamers. Casual gamer, keep stay there. Listen to me. Do not <laughs> go any deeper. Stay there. Play Candy Crush. Get your combos. Don't don't shell out all the don't don't shell out all the money for more plays or anything. But just stay there. Breathe. Congratulations. Download every new gotcha game. Play it for exactly one week, then delete yes. that gotcha game. Yes. Play every gotcha game free to play. Don't give them any money. Just download a new one. Say, hey, that was oh, kind of fun. <laughs> <laughs> Time to do what I like to do. That was kind of a fun little thing to do. Now to do the next thing. Just stay there. <laughs> I do like the idea of urgently impressing upon someone a course of action that will have them at the absolute highest go, yeah, 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 sure. I mean, this game has nice colors in it. (laughs) I'm a fan of some of these colors. I like the color red. I do like it when a game has nice colors. I I jest, but I do. I definitely, I commented on it a lot, but it... I like the idea of more specifically that you're just a huge fan of the color red and it just shows up a lot in the game. Dude, <laughs> this is the reddest game this year. It's probably going to win reddest game of the game awards. Reddest game of the year. Anyways. Uh, okay. Uh, page 475. Yes, indeed. All right. The introduction of Mycroft Homes we'll in the Diogenes Club. This new day has brought a whole new style of energy. Anyways. <laughs> The messenger returns, bringing Mycroft Holmes with him. Mycroft is a tall, stout man with penetrating gray eyes. Like his brother. An imperious air and an expression of introspection as if figuring a mathematical puzzle in his head all the time. Good evening, Mycroft, Sir Andrew says. I appreciate your coming. This young gentleman is looking into the death of poor Sylvester, and it seems your brother was occupied with other matters this evening. Both Sherlock and I thought that you might have noticed something of interest. Very well. Mycroft uncom... I I really want to say Minecraft. Mycroft uncomfortably (laughs) agrees, settling himself into the only chair big enough for him. Turn to 452. Well, he couldn't sit until patch 1.4, I'm pretty sure. Oof. Thank you for speaking to me. You began, if anything. Mycroft fills you with... Even more awe than does his more famous brother. You've heard that his ungainly appearance hides his shrewdness and powerful intellect. If you ask him what he saw when the colonel died, turn to 260. If that doesn't seem relevant, <laughs> go to page 130. <laughs> For the mystery about the- Actually, I wanted to talk to you about your name, Mycroft, huh? <laughs> so what's all that about? <laughs> what's that about? You play? You play? You game? Uh... <laughs> You got games on your phone? (laughs) Yeah. Turn to 260. Mr. Holmes, did you see anything at the time that the Colonel Sylvester died? Uh, Whom he spoke to? Or what he did? Mycroft shakes his great head. I'm so sorry to disappoint, but I was deep in reading of a report that I did not really look up to until a thud hit the floor. Of course, he talked to no one. Such conduct is strictly forbidden in the Diogenes Club. Turn to 130. You smile at Mycroft. That's where we were heading anyway. Oh, that's true. Think, trying to think of the best way to ask your questions. If you ask what he thought of Sylvester 136, otherwise 658. 
Oh, we're so close to 136 already. Yeah, it's true. It's one scroll down. I'm there. What did you think of Colonel Sylvester? You ask. What sort of man was he? Mycroft stares at you for a moment before replying, perhaps wondering if you'll ever ask him anything of import. I cannot say that I liked the man, but I can't say that I hated him. He was a terribly ordinary. He customarily sought things the easy way to do things. Not a great man, but adequate, if not pressed hard. You sigh, wondering if anyone will give you a straight answer. Turn to 658, where we were going anyways. But now so he was- he's just getting more bored with our questions, despite yeah. the fact that he was going to have this reaction anyway. It's, it's true. If this was a game, there would maybe be like a meter of like, okay, well, if you get him too annoyed, he's going to just leave. Yeah, exactly. This is, this is the Oblivion Guard, you know, losing favor over the course of the conversation to let us out. Mm -hmm. You nod in... Huh. Is that a... Is that I a, believe it's 658. A, yeah. But I'm, gl I'm glad I looked at 659 because there's a typo on it and I got a gotcha on the book. Incurrigently. 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 Wondering if further questioning of Mycroft will prove fruitful, you consider asking if he has some idea of who might have murdered Sylvester. If you ask him who might have killed the colonel, turn to 575. If he's bored with that question, I swear. Like, mm -hmm. come on. D dish in the hot goss on who you think is a murderer. If that's not interesting, no thing is interesting. Also, if he doesn't expect that question, we're a detective. <laughs> we're detecting into the murder that he saw. Yeah. Well, ish. He was there. Yeah. Who might have killed Colonel Sylvester? You ask Mycroft. He pauses to think for several moments, then replies. I cannot name a suspect, but I can offer several plausible motives. Sylvester was a sharp dealer in business and delighted in upsetting others with letters to the press and similar activities. But I doubt that such nonsense would be proving grounds for murder. Not unless he ruins someone. And I know that he did not apply to any of the members who were in the lounge, no. He says, leaning back into the sagging stuffed chair. You might look back to his military career for someone who blamed him for some misdeed then. He might yet hold the grudge. Pick a number and add your intuition bonus. Whew. Get a 10 or higher, and we get a 10 on the dot. Intuited. Oh, baby. Intuit, champ. 265? You cock an ear at Mycroft's words, recalling what St. James said. There was some disgrace in the colonel's past. If you ask Mycroft yes. about the past, turn to 656. I mean, we know the letter. We know the secret thing. It sure sounds like that could line up. Like something mm -hmm. he did in the when in the military service led to someone's loved one. Or mm -hmm. I guess I guess it could be like if someone's just weird about it, it could be like a business or an inanimate object. My love, my slinky, you know, like it. If they're weird about it, it could be something like that, but I'm, you know. James Slinky, the inventor of the Slinky? <gasps> My love, <laughs> he makes such wonderful things. Make a Slinky again for me, James. <laughs> He's just standing there coiling it. I don't know how you do it. <laughs> oh. But yes, let's ask about the, uh, the, the uh, misdeeds in, I believe it was India in yeah. his service. 656. 656. You make it sound as though the colonel blundered somehow in his military career. You say? What events ended his career? Mycroft looks pleased. Oh, Sherlock teaches well. Mycroft says to Watson, then turns back to you. 
Sylvester might have remained in command for years if it not had the misfortune to be sent out on an independent action against a group of marauders. When camped one night, his outposts came under fire. Believing himself besieged by superior numbers, he sent a staff officer with an orderly to an urgent message requesting reinforcements. The rebels caught the pair and tortured them to death. Daylight revealed that there were no more than 50 rebels attacking the town, and the loss of men by his panic dismayed his superiors. Shortly thereafter, Sylvester was persuaded to retire from the military life. As you take in the implications of the tale, Mycroft sides, adding... If you do discover a connection between Sylvester's death and those blunders, then you shall have something. Did the note say something? It was, sorry, it was 24 hours ago. Did the note say mm. something about panic in specific? Uh, let, let me um, quickly read um, yes. what I took down about the note. You're me, that's Stuart, from Cost World Colonel, Lingost. <laughs> so just, just in case that helps. Um, I don't believe it specifically mentioned panic. It said, uh, effectively, you took my love from me, the price, your immediate death. Yes. Also, uh, a name? Henry Hamilton? So do we just know who did it? Yeah, that's what I, that's, yeah, I was, that, that, that's kind <laughs> of, I was wondering about that. Like, I didn't know if that was just the code led to it just literally saying that or. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Although what the cases, uh, the case prior to this uh, pointed out is even if we do know who did it, we have to also know how they did it and the agents through which they acted. Yes. Like, you know, we know that Hampton did it, but we know that John Oliver was the person to actually provide the drug to the yes. horse. Uh, in this instance, we might be able to say Henry Hamilton, and it was delivered by the bar person spiking the drink, something like that. Yeah, could well be. Uh, 6.32 is where we go with you. With no other questions to ask him, you thank Mycroft for his assistance. He answers with a solemn nod. Will that chair ever be the same, you wonder? <laughs> Turn to 5.95. Been there. Sir Andrew reviews his list again. I should think that it would be best to talk to Mr. Henry Hamilton next. Mm. He brought a note to the Colonel Sylvester, but had no other connection to the deceased. Uh, do you wish to talk to him? If you wish to talk to Mr. Hamilton, turn to 274. Might be, might be wise. He... Uh, he uh, Did you sign your name on the murder note, Mr. Hamilton? He signed it and delivered it. Yeah, this is... Why it, do both? <laughs> I, don't, I don't understand this man. It is unless he's been framed. But like... <laughs> That's true. He is coming up pretty early in this story. He entirely could be framed in this instance. We'll see. I mean, let's go talk to him on 274. So you murdered him. And... <laughs> <laughs> and he just offhandedly says yes, and we're like, cuff him, got him! <laughs> yes, I did. But here's the thing. I regret it? Eh. Oh, well, actually, that's... Uh, sorry, we, we do have a guilty, not guilty, and I feel real bad about it. So... <laughs> now, and we have a guilty, not guilty, and a, now hear me out. <laughs> <laughs> My client pleads, now hear us out. <laughs> And then there's also just bribe. It's an option. I'll take it. Uh, you, I, yeah, I do take bribes. I, yeah, I'll take bribes. One, I will take uh, Pokemon 151 trading card game packs. Oh. I'll take those because it is hard to justify paying for them 
with the amount that I need left to complete the collection, it feels silly. If they're resealed, I'm sending you immediately to jail. And then I will, I nope, I will commit a murder and then I will take the case <laughs> and I will clear myself. I'm sending you to hell immediately. <laughs> do not pass go. Do not collect $200. If you reseal the Pokemon trading card game pack, you will go to hell, not pass go. <laughs> <laughs> That's, uh... Usually as a judge, I decide whether people go to jail or not. But in this instance, I've made a personal connection with the devil. Yeah. And I'm going to hand yeah. you over. Uh, judge, jury, and Satan's little bro. Anyways. <laughs> 274. You decide that it'd be wise to talk to Mr. Hamilton. If you have clue Q, turn to 607. I feel like we... Do we not? We do. We have the clue. And that I, is why would uh, I, I was the code broken. Yo. Because I was going to say, I feel like I feel like I would remember that one because clue Q is so fun to say. Hmm. But apparently not. I guess it can't be that fun. Maybe it's not fun. Maybe rhymes aren't cool. Uh-oh. 607. Bless me. Before Hamilton comes in, I do love that we have the option to just be like, hey, uh, yo, <laughs> uh, you signed this? <laughs> I do love that that's basically what we kind of get to do. Mm. Before Hamilton comes in, you explain the coded note to Sir Andrew. Are you going to accuse him of the crime then? He asks. I'm not certain if I should. You answer. It practically is a confession, but not absolute proof that he carried out the threat. I'm glad the the book, it's doing all the right things. I want to point that out. Mm-hmm. Like, because it's like, yeah, that, that's exactly it. Mycroft nods quietly. What will you do then? You think about it, then reply. I'll question him. If I decide to accuse him, I'll nod sharply just before I ask him why he wrote the note. If I decide that it's not safe to make the accusation, tap my fingers on the table. You arrange Sir Andrew and Watson so that all of you will block Hamilton's escape through the door. Then you tell the steward to send Hamilton in. As he enters, looking drawn and wary, you thank him for his time, offering him a chair. He appears to be a neatly dressed, respectable-looking man, neither wealthy nor poor, and suffers from a persistent hacking cough. There's no need for thanks, he says. As a solicitor and the officer of the court, I know it's my duty to provide all possible assistance in the matter of a suspicious death. You are most kind, sir. You say? Now, the matter we need your help with is the note that you brought to the victim. We know that you were the only mess. We know that you were only a messenger, rather, but you have met the man who sent the note, and you are a man of intelligence and education. You hand him the note, and he scans it with a puzzled look. Hey. Sounds rather odd, he says slowly. Something's not quite right with it. If you ask his opinion of the note, turn to 559. What do you think was the purpose of the note? You ask Hamilton anxiously. What gives it the odd quality you mentioned? Can't put my finger on it, he says slowly, hesitantly. But the way it's written is bizarre. Something's wrong with some of the words and how they're, you know, put together. If you ask him if he thinks the writer was a foreigner, turn to 299, otherwise 401. Hmm. <laughs> I mean, I want more information, so sure. Yeah, I just... This is this is the line that we got to avoid <laughs> yes. by and it, expecting a code instead. And if he answers this in a way that, like, don't love, just, you know, 
uh, how he says anything. Mm. We could just accuse him anyways. That's very true. <laughs> Two ninety nine. Oh, could the writer have been a foreigner, maybe? You ask, feigning a tone of sudden inspiration. I mean, you did meet the man who presumably wrote it. Hamilton looks stunned at the question and then stops to think. Uh, yeah. He says. Uh, yeah, you might you might well be right, actually. Uh, perhaps a German or a Swede, well, well educated in English. When he spoke, I noticed the effort he made to speak without an accent, rather than any particular accent itself. He seemed to speak a little too precisely, as though he had to think about how the words sounded in English. And one sees the same sort of effort in this note. You nod as if agreeing. If you ask about a business competitor, turn to 633, otherwise 401. Oh, I, we're taking the long road to 401. 633, please. Could the man have been one of Sylvester's business competitors? You ask. Business? He asks as if puzzled, then changes his tone to one of assurance. Oh, yeah, of course, sir. It's got to be a business rival. A competitor who gave up all hope of winning, uh, you know, could carry out a threat to ruin another man. Then another thought seems to strike him. But if it was written for that purpose, it can have nothing to do with his death. I, I tell you, that's a relief. It is uncomfortable to think that I might have played even an unwitting and minor role in this poor man's death. If you ask why he wrote the note, turn to 417, otherwise 401. Mm. Mm. <sighs> so he is acting deeply suspicious, oh, right? He's suddenly sus. agreeing with all of our possible suggestions, uh, which we happen to know to more likely be errant than not. Uh, he's, yeah. he's pivoting on a dime. He's, you know, he's such as a flag. He waves the direction of the wind. Um, Emergency meeting. Uh, I want to vote out yeah. red. You want to vote out red? We're yeah. going to tell him that we know he wrote the rope? Yeah. Sorry, I, note I, the rope. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I think that I... Because here's why I'm fine with it. Because it opens up the opportunity for him to say, I didn't. And then we could try and go from there. It doesn't feel like we're necessarily mm -hmm. saying, this is my final choice. Mm-hmm. In the last mystery, it made it pretty clear when we were kind of like making our final choice. So I feel like we could probably yeah. go four seventeen, and I don't think we're I don't think we're locking ourselves in. And if we have to fight, let's, let's <laughs> good let's finally four seventeen. Hmm. You nod sharply. Uh oh, okay. And notice that Watson and Sir Andrew grow tense. Uh, well, that's all the questions I have for you, Mister Hamilton. I'm just gonna head out, Mister Hamilton. Just one more thing. But why did you write in this strange note, Mr. Hamilton? You suddenly demand to know. You tell him you wish his immediate death. Odd sentiments for a respectable solicitor, I'm thinking. Hamilton stands, pacing the room like a beast in a cage, and stares at you in utter shock, his eyes almost popping out of his head. You are clever, you fiend. He shouts. Oh, you broke that code, eh? A few moments of silence follow, and as you and the others just stare at him, waiting for something to happen. With great effort, he pulls himself together. Well? He says, beginning to pace again. Ugh, I guess that someone that clever really does deserve to hear the truth. When Colonel Sylvester was in the army, through cowardice and stupidity, he ordered two men on an unnecessary mission that ended in their being tortured to death. 
One of the men was the brother of my wife, and the blow so shocked her that it shattered her health and reason. The doctors said a warmer climate might help her, so we sailed to the West Indies, but uh, she got a little better, but she never really grew whole. And finally, after 12 years of pain and sorrow, she passed away. I returned to England and found that I could raise only a small practice. And at my station, I was unlikely to ever really reach the heights of my profession. You begin to feel compassion for Hamilton, however guilty he is. Still, this in itself would not have driven me to murder. He asserts, pausing to look you in the eye. But I investigated Colonel Sylvester and I found he'd grown rich. Alrighty, safe. But he was still the same. <laughs> <laughs> sorry it's all good but he was still the same cruel predatory man in his business career grown rich from the very character defects that destroyed my happiness it was then that i resolved to kill him i succeeded as i picked up the note from the floor i put a powder in his brandy that'd bring on a stroke that killed him uh, look i'm only sorry that it killed him outright rather than condemning him to the years of agony that my poor wife suffered. And you claim to be the right for judge, jury, and executioner. Watson demands. Hamilton stops pacing long enough to nod. Pick a number and add your perception bonus. Whoa! 11 or 12 for a success. Oh, we do get a 10! Um, is perception a stat? Oh, I have athletics, artifice, intuition, compassion, observation. Maybe it's observation. I was thinking it was observation. Uh, I think it's observation. Scholastics. I would well, say if it's observation, we have a plus one in that. Yeah. If it's observation, 10 is... I, I am added an imaginary plus one because I assumed it was either... If I, <sighs> I knew for intuition and observation we had plus one, and I was... I guess in my head I was like, oh, it's one of those two. Because mm -hmm. it's got to be one of those two. We do not that perceive it. Sense. But here's the... I hope it's us noticing that he's pulling out a gun and we get to beat him up now. Oh, yeah. I'm ready for a physical con test. 491. Oh, boy. Suddenly, in the course of the feverish pacing, Hamilton leaps through one of the windows. Turn to 328. So we would have been able to stop him if we were... Oh. And stop a fight? Hmm. Or maybe not. Hamilton's heavy boots shatter the frame and his body crashes through. He grabs the upper sash just enough to slow his momentum. Running to the window, you see him land on his feet, roll forward and back on his feet, scramble towards a waiting hansom. And before you can draw breath to shout for help, the driver whips his horse and the cab disappears around the corner. Dr. Watson stops you and as you turn to run for the room's door. Easy, my friend, he says slowly. More thought and less leg. But he'll escape, you cry. No, he'll go to his room. Well, however poised to flee, he must have at least left a bag there. Let's give chase. Sir Andrew hands you Hamilton's card, which has his home address written below the name. Turn to 364. You and Watson take a handsome from, which I guess is just a, <laughs> a horse cab. Some sort of vehicle. A horse cab. <laughs> from the Diogenes Club and a hurry to Hamilton's address. As you pull up outside a small house on the outskirts of London, you see your quarry flee across the backyard and jump the fence into the alley beyond. You and Watson race after him, the driver calling out for his fee. Turn to 467. As you and Watson hurry down the alley, you see Hamilton turn into a cross alley leading back into the main road. You give chase, but when you turn to his alley, he's disappeared. You follow to the main road, but the murderer's nowhere in sight. 
Where is he? Watson asks, then adds. He must have hidden in one of the shops. Pointing to the three buildings lying between the alley and the street. The other side of the alley is blocked by an abandoned warehouse. The doors are boarded up and obviously impassable. You stop to think. The first building has a back door opening on the alley at the ground level. The second has a pair of wide flat doors leading down into the cellar. And while well, the third has doors at both ground and basement levels. If you search the first building, 558, and to the second, 561, and to the third, 194, if you stand and watch the front of the shops, 108. Less leg? More. Less leg, more thought. Or another less leg, more thought in this instance would be, well, two of these from our initial inspection, only appear to have one entrance and possibly the same amount of exits. Uh, whereas the third has doors at both the ground and the basement level, uh, giving a little bit more subterfuge to, to movement. I, I think we should stand at the corner uh, and watch the front of the shops, but I think there's, like, I'm, I suspect the third. Yeah. Well, it's tough because the first building also has a back door opening to the alley. So mm. it's tough. Let's yeah, this went away. Rather than searching the buildings along the alley, you hide at the doorway where you can see from the front. You remain so for a long time as Watson grows impatient beside you. Half an hour passes. Okay, well, I didn't. Okay. <laughs> Without a sign of Hamilton. Perhaps you should have searched the buildings after all. Well, I didn't realize it was we were going to sit there for a half an hour. I meant like a couple minutes. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. If you search the first building, a grocery storeroom, 558, the second, a cellar, 561, the third, a vacant tavern, 194, or you continue to wait, turn to 271. Oh, God. Well, do we double down? I feel like, I feel like we have to. Right? It, it feels... Let's do, I mean, I, I don't think any of the others make that much sense at this point, so sure, 271, yeah, let's see what yeah, happens if we go all the way. Yeah, let's just sit here and... I, I'm only curious about it because of, like, the the, the patience angle being explained multiple mm -hmm. times, that being kind of, like, the crux early, and also just hearing the less, like, more thought. I don't know. Anyways. Remembering Holmes's constant emphasis on the need for patience, yes... You continue to wait, watching the front of the buildings. Hamilton must come out eventually. Watson grows more and more restless by your side, and you signal him to calm down. Pick a number and add your observation bonus. Okay. Two That's seven. a plus one. We roll a nine. We're good. <gasps> we observe on 313. We needed an eight. <gasps> In spite of Watson's restlessness, you concentrate on the three buildings, sweeping your eyes back and forth from one to another, one to another. You're rewarded. When Hamilton emerges, dashing across the street, calling for a cab, you run to intercept him, and as he tries to sidestep, you dive for his legs. Pick a number, and Raps, do you want to read the next little bit there? Add your athletic bonus. Johnny Curve Stop, baby! And thank God we have it. Actually, it wouldn't have <laughs> If we had a plus one, it'd be fine, too. But it's a six plus nine... That's a, a success. We needed a seven. So 141 to bring into the curb. 
With a thrill of delight, you feel your arms wrap around the murderer's legs and trip him up. He turns to punch you, but stops immediately. Watson's there, his service revolver commanding Hamilton's obedience. Turn to 613. Yeah, it's a good excuse that he's not just scared we're going to beat him up. Yep, yep, yep. We introduced ourselves by name at one point, theoretically. He knows. Name and reputation. It's all wrapped into Johnny Curbstone. It's true. Uh, I want to say we're on 613, but look at what 612 is right above us. That would have been the one for Johnny Curbstone. By cornering him, you force Hamilton into a fight. Pick a number and add your athletics bonus needing a nine. That would have been a uh, the six plus three. That would have we needed our like we would have needed the plus three mm-hmm. athletics. That would have been oof, magnifique. But anyways, I guess we're just gonna be like smart about it. We needed a lower roll because of it. Meh. Together, you and Watson deliver the murderer to the police and return in triumph to Baker Street. Turn to six seventeen. In response to a telegram from Watson. Holmes had a delicious supper sent up for the celebration. As you and Watson set to, the great detective smiles sardonically. Success tastes sweet, doesn't it? He says with his dry laugh. And a most instructive success it was, if I do say so. Though I should think that the crowd might have some little difficulty in proving the man's guilt. He chose his murder weapon with a great deal of care, you must admit. Oh, there's not been difficulty at all in having a conviction. Watson answers between the mouthfuls. When we delivered Hamilton to Lestrade, the man gave a full confession. I think he was so shaken by the captured being captured so quickly that he didn't think of the <laughs> possibilities of his own defense. His quick capture was fortunate. Holmes agrees. For given any time, a murder of this sort would have escaped detection. The man did actually die of a stoke. <laughs> it does say stoke. <laughs> It does say it. A stroke, rather. Sorry, my apologies. I'm having a little bit of a stroke myself. (laughs) Uh, And I would wager that his doctor had warned Colonel Sylvester of such dangers many a time. Hamilton merely made certain that his victim would die sooner rather than later. Aye. Watson agreed. But I doubt that Hamilton will have a long sentence. Because of how he killed, because of how his wife suffered and all. Not from some, you know, sordid motive. Perhaps. Holmes agrees. But he killed in a ruthless and careful fashion, and I'm sure that he would have killed you too if it would have saved him. Murder is seldom an indication of good character, after all. He took pains to learn Sylvester's weakness, and then dropped the note so that the colonel wouldn't see him drug the brandy. And the note itself was the key to Sylvester's gulping the brandy. And so he got the full dose of the drug in an instant. How could that be, Holmes? Watson asks in his most puzzled tone. He didn't even read the note. The envelope was enough, actually. Holmes answers. Sylvester knew that anyone else learning his code would lead to his ruin, for such a man could reveal all the colonel's unethical dealings over the last years, and the envelope itself was written in code. The number 13 in the corner was an indication that the envelope was coded, and that was the discovery that so shocked Colonel Sylvester. For once, the superstitions were proven right. The number 13 was unlucky indeed. Though the two friends continue their discussion, their voices seem to fade away. Even as you bask in the glory of this success, you're beginning to wonder what the next case will be. Third mystery begins... No, the end. (laughs) (laughs) Raps? I loved it. 
It's incredible. This is a really good book. The, the, the some of the things that I loved the most in in the the first series of, of Goosebumps, and then obviously the second season of, of Grail Quest, were the moments where I didn't necessarily expect the book to reference something previously, and yet it did. And in yeah. this, it's because it's you know trying to work with intuition and deduction and things like that. It is constantly dropping you yes. hints outside of the main plot itself. I mean, you know, like the most obvious example very recently at mind is that Watson advises you to be patient and then almost tries to admonish you twice for taking his yes. advice before you realize, actually, maybe it is a good idea. I should continue with that one. Yeah. It, it pays off for the effort that you put into interpreting it. Yeah, and it, it it gives you it gives you reward for paying attention. It gives you like the rewards for the roles. Like the big question mark I have is like, yeah, what happens if you fail too many mm. roles? Like, are you able to deduce your way out of it? Like, that's my question. We didn't have that issue today, uh, but yeah, I just I really like it. It had I think it has some fun writing has some you know like funny elements to it it feels easy to riff off of and it feels like there's also actual brain like actual brain usage that we can have and like reasons for our choices the only thing right now that i would hope to see like in a future book that i don't know if that if it'll be a thing and i also don't know that it wasn't a thing a thing in this book i don't know if there was a couple times is the fact of you are given here's the thing that's you know, do you want to ask a question or leave that's my only thing is like that you get asked that a lot and it, it and i yeah. do wonder how many times ever we would have been rewarded for not asking a question there there mm -hmm. were plenty of times where we weren't rewarded for asking a question but i don't know if there were times where we'd be rewarded for not pushing something further and upsetting somebody possibly now but who knows I, were we not rewarded is th this is a question because like th th a couple of those instances didn't result in us marking off clues or deductions but things that didn't mark those off were still things like Mycroft mentioning you might want to look into his military career if he'd stepped wrong of someone in that particular instance he might have a motive to be killed in that instance like it, it feels like Instead of the the hard things that you get from like you know rolling and and getting the the clues and deductions marked off from intuition checks etc, uh, there's also a whole set of things that the game is trying to communicate via the more broad conversation without giving you strict clues or deductions that you should possibly be able to also use to try and deduce yourself outside of the game's material. Yeah. It's cool. I like it. It's cool. I like it a lot. I was anticipating that I would enjoy this, but like, oh god, I enjoyed. Were it. you anticipating regretting the fact that there are only four of these? I was not. I was not anticipating that. No, I am. I am mourning it already, the fact that there's only four of these. Uh, but boy, I'm gonna num 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 appreciate these four. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I think it'll be it'll be a great little season. Uh, I'm glad we have it for for what we have it. But any other thoughts on this before we uh, wrap it on up? Uh, none in particular. I tripped off the tongue for probably a couple hundred words there with all of my available thoughts in this instance. Now I need time to digest and yes. savor and true. prepare for the second. Yes. 
uh, the next mystery. Wonder what the next case will be. Uh, the question being, who is our lovely, uh, you know, Patreon supporter, producer for this first episode of the Sherlock Holmes solo mysteries, quote unquote, solo mysteries series. Neither solo in the book nor reading. <laughs> the Sherlock Co-op mystery series. Yes. Was in this episode, executive produced by Alex Dredd. Thank you very kindly, Alex Dredd, for supporting over on patreon.com slash turn to pagecast at or above the hardcover tier. Much appreciated to all patrons over there, but in a special thanks this episode to the executive producer of the episode, Alex Dredd, of this episode. Thank you so much to Alex Dredd. And agreed. Huge thank you, everyone supporting patreon.com slash turn to pagecast. Absolutely lovely. Thank you for the... Uh, sustained support over there helping make this a logical thing to keep doing not just because we like it like that, that just helps you know it, it's just really really kind to go above and beyond like that if you want to do anything to help for free there are also a couple lovely things you can do there is subscribing over on the youtube channel youtube.com slash at turn to page cast you can leave comments over there. You can leave reviews on any of the places that ask you to do that. Spotify, what have you, all those places. Those are wonderful, completely free things you can do that also make a huge impact and helping us keep going. So yeah, mm -hmm. good times, good fun. I really, I I'm really looking forward to the next one. But that's mm -hmm. that. It's going to do it. And we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Views.